Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we definitely 
want to encourage you guys to come out and enjoy yourselves. You know, there's going to be some wonderful panels. We're going to have vendors there and, you know, just kind of give you um, an insight as to what will be happening. We will have vendors, so you'll be able to buy, you know, high-quality merchandise and goods. We will be offering daycare services. Yes, you will actually have daycare services there. Um, for those, you know, that are interested, you can apply for a $200 travel grant. And it, it came to my attention that you do not have to be a student to get this $200 voucher. So go and apply. Um, visit our page on Facebook. The page is People of Color Beyond Faith. And if you go to the events um it has our Moving Social Justice Conference. And just scroll down, scroll through, read through it. It gives you the link for the Secular Student Alliance. They're one of our sponsors. And it shows you where you can apply for a $200 grant. I know of at least one person that won. So she's, like, extremely excited. So, you know, you don't know until you apply. So please go out and do that. Um the hotel that we're encouraging people to um, utilize is in Glendale, California, and let's see here. I think it's the Sheridan. No, let's hold on a second here. I'm scrolling up. It's just so much material here. It's the Hilton. Okay, so it's the Hilton in Glendale, California, and I believe the rates were like 129 a, a night, so that's not bad. So, anyway, the registration fee is $40, $25 if you're a student. Again, $40 for the registration fee, $25 for the student. And I am going to give you 50% off of registration. If you remember the code, P-O-C-B-F. Again, P-O-C-B-F. You see me using that hashtag all, all over the place. So, Instead of putting a hashtag in front, just put that code, P-O-C-B-F, when you go to register, and it'll give you a 50% discount. So, you know, we're offering that now, and we just want to let you guys know. You know, we definitely we want to see you. We're going to have some great panels. Um, we're going to have some great people. A.J. Johnson will be there, Dr. Hutchinson, uh, Meredith Moise from Creative Heart Mission. In Baltimore, Maryland, we'll have Dr. Anthony Penn. We'll have the one and only Raina Rhodes, she'll be there, and Donald Wright from Houston Black Nonbelievers will be in the place. And we will be talking about youth leadership and busting prison pipelining, feminism of color and community activism, anti-racism and the myth of color blindness in post-racial America, confronting homophobia and transphobia in the black church, Culturally relevant humanism, what is it and why do we need it? And LGBTQ, atheists of color and social justice. And if you go to the page on Facebook, we have it all lined up to show the times of the panels, um, who's moderating the panels. Again, Tika Fleming will be moderating a panel. Andrea Platt from the Feminist Wire will be um, moderating, moderating a panel. And Tika is with Morningside Park. Chronicle newspaper, and we'll have Tandy. She'll be moderating. She's from the Ida B. Wells Institute. Um, um, Daniel Myatt from Black Skeptics Los Angeles will be moderating a, a panel. And then yours truly, Kim, I will be moderating Sunday's panel. 
for LGBTQ, queer, atheists of color, and social justice. So we're definitely looking forward to seeing you guys. We want to see you. And just to give you a heads up, because we know some people will not be able to make it this year, even though we told you a year in advance. So um, we're telling you a year in advance for next year. We will be in Houston, Texas. So Houston Black Nonbelievers will be our host group, and we will be in Texas, Houston, Texas next year. We're working on plans, trying to get all of that situated now, but we're giving you a heads up. So you just start saving money, put it in your United Negro Conference Fund, and we will go from there. So, you know, we're really excited about all of this. And next year's year, too, you know, we plan on coming back and doing more um, webcasts and, you know, we're sharing more information continuing the discussion, continuing the social justice activities, going out, getting out of the house and going out and actually doing service, community service, service service-related jobs in the community. That's why we think it's important. You know, we, we really love doing the podcast, the webcast, but there are people out there that need our assistance, our expertise, and we want you all to get involved. Even if you're not involved with any of our organizations, you know, there are other organizations around, get involved. Um, I I know Chocolate City Skeptics in D.C., that's D.C., Maryland, Virginia, the DMV area. They've been packing lunches for the homeless. Here in Chicago, we're collecting donations for the homeless. We're actually going to go out and... um, work at the homeless shelter. Um, I know some people are going to be there on Thanksgiving, and others of us will be there on Christmas, you know, serving food, giving donations, making contributions. You know, this is something that's ongoing. And in Los Angeles, Black Skeptics LA, I know that they are working with the LGBTQ youth homeless shelters. And there are more of those opening up over, you know, in the country. So, I know Cindy, was it Cindy Lauper? Yeah, Cindy Lauper just opened one, and the young man whose mother and father did not take his coming out very well, he received over $100,000, I believe, in donations, and he's going to use that towards opening um, a homeless shelter for LGBTQ youth um, that are put out of their homes because the highest percentage of homeless, you know, people, are LGBTQ youth, and they need a place to go. They need the support. So, again, um, just give you all a heads up. Um, you can donate money to these causes, what have you. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can donate conference, I mean, money to the conference for what we're doing for people of color beyond faith. Um, with the social justice, again, we're a 501c3 organization. You can make donations to people of color beyond faith at gmail.com via PayPal, or you can make a donation to black skeptics at gmail.com via PayPal. And that's if you want to donate to the individual um, cities and, you know, to encourage and for us to continue on with the social justice outreach. On December 1st, I know we'll be out for um, World AIDS Day. I know uh, we wanted to collect a couple of letters from the post office for children um, that 
sent their letters in to Santa. I know we don't necessarily believe in that, but there are still people that do, and there are people who are in need. So we are going to collect two or three of those letters per city and fill those children's wishes, and, you know, probably with a little bit more than what they asked for. So, you know, your, you know, um, donations go a long way to helping us get out and reach out and help out. So, you know, it's been a really good year. It's been a really good year, and we thank you all for your support. You know, we thank you for your encouragement, for your motivation. It it, it all goes a long way, believe me. You know, there are days when we're sitting around and we have our heads in our hands and, you know, hitting your head against the wall like, what is happening There's been so much, I know, for the past month, I have been absolutely enthralled with what's happening down in Peter, I mean, Ferguson. And there was another incident in Savannah, Georgia, um, earlier this week. So, basically, I'm just trying to figure out what's happening and, you know, what's really going on. What's really going on because... It's just so much, you know, you have these young people out here who are saying no more, no more. They're not, you know, taking it anymore. And I understand. I understand. And, you know, you've heard me mention um, on a couple of occasions that I feel as though um, a couple of generations have failed the millennials. And it's just interesting, Um the dynamics of that, but what I will say is the millennials are stepping up. They are out here. They are doing their thing, and I'm just really proud of them. You have Project Youth Build here in Chicago. They're out there, and, you know, they're planning trips to Ferguson and other places, and, you know, I personally believe that, What's happening in Ferguson and in other cities, people need to stand up and start taking these issues up with Amnesty International, the UN, and other um, organizations that can take a look into the practices of, you know, policing in this country because something needs to be done. Something needs to be done, you know, basically Every 28 hours, someone is murdered by the police. Don't you think that's a bit much? So I just, you know, we just need to keep an eye on it. For those that are interested in getting involved in Ferguson, I have posted some resources. Well, that was last week. I'll repost them. But you have Operation for Black Struggle. You have a number of organizations down there. You can donate to ACLU. You can donate to um, Amnesty International, Organization for Black Struggle, and a number of other places uh, that are taking donations that are down there helping those people um, continue with their peaceful protests. The anarchists that you all read about, the rioters, those were mainly people that came from other places 
down there causing problems. As a matter of fact, the people in Ferguson had to police um, the visitors, you know, the people that were coming in, and they were protecting all the businesses in the area. And so it was just really interesting, but, no, they're maintaining order there. There was an incident in Savannah, Georgia. You know, I posted that yesterday. And a gentleman, a young man, was killed by the police, and basically, you know, people started coming out and protesting. And the mayor is, you know, an African-American woman, and they did not want a Ferguson type of event. I did not get a chance to um, read up on it again today, but you can look for it. It's on AtlantaBlackStar.com. And it's tensions rise in Savannah, Georgia, after police killed black man while in custody. So this young man, he was in the back of a squad car. And it's just, it's, it's a long story. So just go out and look for it. And, you know, keep an eye out on what's happening. You know, we post, you know, quite a bit of news because there's quite a few of us that post um, on that page and under that um, account. But, again, I just want you guys to know about what's happening in the community and, you know, why we are getting upset and why you're starting to see more people pushing for community and grassroots activism, more social justice. You need to be informed. As a matter of fact, are you registered to vote? Okay, we need to talk about that too. It's imperative that you get registered to vote. You can do it online in in some states. Um, Just look up your respective information for your particular state. Um, I've been talking about this all year round, about how they've made it difficult to register to vote last summer. I went through an ordeal, and I shared that with you guys, but um, it's just as important. These are the midterm. This is the midterm election. You see what happened last time, and you see what's happening with our do-nothing Congress. You know, so everything is pretty much stagnated. And whenever President Obama tries to sign an executive order, they start filing, you know, they're filing lawsuits and making these threats of impeachment. And if they get control of the Senate, because the Senate is now controlled by the Democratic Party, but if the Republicans, in particular the Tea Partiers and the Libertarians, if they get control of the Senate, they already have control of the House. Um, we're going to see some really interesting things happening in the next two years. So get out there, get registered to vote, have no idea who's running in 2016 yet. You know, you have people putting their fillers out there, but, you know, we want you to be politically informed so that you can make you know, the proper choices, you know, the choices as to who you feel should be your um, public servants. And, again, they are public servants. They are supposed to be working for us. However, they've lost sight of that and so have we. So, anyway, moving on, I wanted to do a three-part series on the civil rights movement, and so I named it Civil Rights Movement Series, Slavery to Today and Beyond, and this is part one. And part one, we'll be talking about slavery all the way up to W.E.B. Du Bois. 
And then from there, for part two, we will continue discussing W.E.B. Du Bois. He's a very, very important figure um, in the civil rights movement as far as his works and his influence on, you know, Asa Philip Randolph, Bayard Rustin, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X. So, you know, we'll be getting into some of those people and those movements in part two and a little bit in part one, and we'll be taking that all the way up to the Poor People's Campaign. So we'll be talking about the assassination of Martin Luther King. We'll be discussing the assassination of Malcolm X and the significance of those assassinations. Um, And in part three, we'll talk about the Poor People's Campaign up till today and the future. So for part three, we will be talking about Ferguson in depth um, and the impact that that has influenced us, Um, not only Ferguson, but down in Sanford, Florida with the Trayvon uh, Martin incident. Um, she was assassinated, you know, and we, we, we need to discuss these issues as well as other issues that are popping up. You know, I will keep on top of that situation in Savannah. And, again, you know, we'll be talking about moral Mondays. We'll be talking about various protests that are happening all around the country, the significance of these protests. We will also in part three, a little bit in part two, but mainly in part three, we'll be discussing the civil rights movement. And we'll be discussing how it was a secular movement and how religion was infused into it. It wasn't Martin Luther King Jr.'s idea to um, incorporate religion into that movement they basically did not have a choice because white nationalists decided to utilize scriptures to justify their mistreatment of blacks, to justify slavery. And so basically they had to fight fire with fire, so they had to fight the scriptures that the white nationalists were giving to justify the behavior with scriptures that basically was the antithesis to what they were, um, you know, trying to convey. So, again, it will be a three-part series, and like I said on the description, you know, this is not comprehensive. This is not a comprehensive overview. We are going to try to cover as much, you know, material as possible, but we cannot cover everything. We cannot discuss everything. So if I leave something out, you know, please feel free to inbox me. Feel free to email me, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Again, that's blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. You can inbox me, you can tweet at me, put it on my Facebook wall, whatever. And, you know, um, if there's something that I didn't cover, you know, I'll if you bring it to my attention, I'll post links. And, again, that's why we challenge you, you know, to think for yourself. We also challenge and encourage you to study beyond what we share on this program. You know, what we're sharing is to pique your interest and to give you information that you may know about, but, you know, sometimes we give you little nuggets that, you know, you may not have known about or if you didn't know about it. You know, hopefully it encourages you to do more research. 
you know, that's something that I've encouraged from the very beginning is to do more research. Learn about your history. History is a weapon. And so, again, you know, that's one of the things, you know, when I, you know, retrospect on my life and, you know, think about situations and dialogues that I've been involved in. And for the most part, when I would have these conversations with people who I shall say were a tad bit hostile, they would try to use history And they would try to say that, you know, black Americans, African Americans, whatever you may call yourself, they would try to say that African Americans did not contribute at all to the history of this country or the history at all, period, throughout all history. And that is a fallacy. Um, They are being disingenuous. And so that's why we're teaching this, because when you don't have the information to rebut, you feel powerless, you feel helpless. So, you know, we're putting this out here, we're letting you know, we're putting it in your heads that, you know, black people in this country and black people throughout the world, because I do post information about, you know, um, racism and, you know, good feeling stories, just a number of different, you know, a myriad of different types of stories, you know, on my wall. And we tell you about what's happening in other countries as well, because we don't want black Americans in this country to feel as though they're alone. You're not alone. For a number of reasons, you're not alone. It's just in the development of the past decade, and primarily the past, you know, three to five years, more and more non-believers of color have been coming out, and there's a campaign now that's encouraging more and more secularists, more and more humanists, more and more atheists, so on and so forth, to come out of the closet. So they're being encouraged to come out of the closet. They're being encouraged to stand up and demand their rights, and I do believe in separation of church and state. You know, I've never disputed that. Um, It's just necessary because the last thing we want is for this country to to become a theocracy. And while some believers may think that that's what they want, you know, I would strongly encourage them to go back and to read about the Crusades, go and read about the Inquisition, um, the Dark Ages, go back and read on that, and, you know, also reflect on your life. You know, a lot of believers talk about walking in holiness, walking in righteousness, and, you know, doing the will of God and following the Bible. But I challenge you to look at your life and look at choices that you make on a daily basis and does it line up with the word of God that you espouse. So I really want you to think long and hard about it because, you know, if you try to turn this country into a theocracy, well, there you go. There's the alcohol. There are the drugs. There's the secular music. Um, you know, the cigarettes gone, all of that. They're going to try to get rid of all of that. And, and interesting, you know, they make start back to stoning people for having, you know, or or engaging in any type of sexual activity outside of marriage. So um, it's, it's just really interesting. Just want you to go back and think about it. 
And just look up theocracy, look up cultures that are religious-based, um, you know, especially in some Muslim countries. Look it up. Look it up. And, you know, look at what you're asking for. Not only look at what you're asking for, look at who's going to enforce those particular rules. And, again, many of the people that are out here advocating for, you know, the merge of church and state, well, they have other beliefs, too. You know, they believe in chattel. They believe in indentured servants. So, you know, you really want to go and take a look and see who these people are that you are heralding as heroes. And, you know, you have to go beyond that they're against LGBTQ, that they're against abortion. You just can't look at that scene. Those are code words. Those are dog whistle phrases. And they put that out there. And, you know, a lot of people are like, yes, that's a man of God because, you know, abortion is wrong and, you know, all of that, you know, you know, homosexuality stuff. Look, you've seen the number of people who espouse, you know, anti-LGBTQ rhetoric. Are Some of them, many of them, but we'll just say some of them, have been caught with their, quote-unquote, wide stance <laughs> in public restrooms. Um, they've been caught with rent boys. Uh, they've been caught um, in we'll just say precarious situations with, you know, you know, same sex um situations there. So, you know, again, we want you to go and we want you to investigate. We want you to learn. We want you to understand what's happening in you know, in this country because it's extremely important that you are informed. And we try our best to relay as much information as possible, but we can't relay everything. And I know the Black Freethinkers page is is, is a fast-moving page. It's always something to put out there. So take your time. Go back. Go back through the archives. Take a look around. There's a lot of information that we've put out there. And, you know, it's been some really great articles um, that have come out in the past week or so. I did not get a chance to put them all out there. I put a few out there. Other people have put a few out there. And that's why we encourage you all to subscribe to the Black Freethinkers Praxis. Again, Black Freethinkers Praxis, that is the paper leaf. So, you know, we've put in the code words, and what it does is it data mines. So, you know, it takes information from the code words that we put in there, and it, you know, turns it into a little newspaper. It's a daily newspaper, and it automatically posts to my page every morning on Facebook. It automatically posts to Twitter, and it tweets out to people whose stories that we've used in that particular Edition, but you know it's a phenomenal paper. I, I worked really hard to put the right code words in there to you know call the correct information. So you know sometimes I you know take articles from the paper and post them. So again, you know um, there's a lot of information that's incorporated into the Black Free Thinkers Praxis, and I encourage you to subscribe to our paper today. I think this is the first time I've ever talked about the Black Freethinkers Praxis. 
on the show. So, you know, again, I'm encouraging you to subscribe. It's, you know, a daily newspaper. It's an electronic newspaper. And, you know, of course, we encourage you all to read and read and read and read. You know, um, this is how you get informed. So we're going to talk about the civil rights movement. And so someone challenged me the other day, and they were like, well, what about human rights? And I'm like, that also. So they sent me a link, and, you know, it's a link, and the question is, what is the difference between a human right and a civil right? And so basically, you know, it says, have you ever wondered what the difference was between a human right and a civil right? After all, some Americans had to fight to obtain civil rights as recently as the late 20th century. Now, I would correct that and say as recently as today, what are all of these human rights we and other nations are enforcing in other countries through military action? Is there a difference between the two terms? And it says, in simplest terms, the difference between a human right and civil right is why you have them. Human rights arise simply by being a human being. I'll repeat that. Human rights arise simply by being a human being. Civil rights, on the other hand, arise only by virtue of a legal grant of that right, such as the rights imparted on American citizens by the U.S. Constitution. And I'll repeat that one more time. Civil rights, on the other hand, arise only by virtue of a legal grant of that right, such as the rights imparted on American citizens by the U.S. Constitution. So I think it's important for you all to understand the difference between a human right and a civil right. And, you know, I'm going to expound more on this because it's really interesting, um, you know, to expound a little bit more on civil rights. You know, um, a lot of people don't realize that in the Constitution itself, there are sections that protect slavery. Now, it doesn't say slaves or slavery, literally, but there are, you know, provisions in there. And I may go over it. I just may post it so that you can read it for yourself. But um, basically, you know, the U.S. Constitution, you know, also defined, you know, people of color, African Americans as three-fifths of a human. So you know about that, but, um, you know, civil rights protect citizens of the United States, um, and I'm talking purely from the U.S. Constitution, it's supposed to protect us from discrimination and grant certain freedoms like free speech, due process, equal protection, rise um, the right against self-incrimination, so the right against, you know, putting yourself or testifying against yourself. Uh, you know, you'll hear people say that they're, you know, invoking the Fifth Amendment. So that's what that is there. And, you know, there are many, many more, but um, it says here the civil rights can be thought of as the agreement between the nation, the state, and the individual citizens that they govern. So, again, um, those were civil rights. Human rights, you know, a good example of that was um, when the Nazis were, committing genocide on the Jews during World War II. You know, that was 
you know, it was a horrible, horrible situation. And unfortunately, a lot of countries turned their backs or turned a blind eye to what was happening to Jewish people, but not only Jewish people. A lot of people do not realize that the Nazis were persecuting blacks. They were persecuting LGBTQ people as well. So whenever I talk about World War II and what the Nazis did to Jewish people, I always bring up um, what happened to the blacks and, you know, the LGBTQ um, people as well because it's important for you to know that. You know, I want you to do some research about blacks in the Rhineland, um, R-H-I-N-E-L-A-N-D. So there were a lot of children of mixed um, heritage, you know, biracial children, and even to this day, many of them do not have the same um, rights as those who are white in particular places, um, in, in, even in the Rhineland. Um, it happened in France as well. They were collecting the birth certificates of biracial children um, in the Rhineland as well as France and denying them their, you know, their rights as citizens you know, of France as citizens of, you know, these different countries. So we encourage you guys to go out there and understand what was happening. And with what happened in 1948, the UN, the United Nations General Assembly, adopted the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And basically it cemented their foundation in international law and policy, which is why it was important that the UN show up in Ferguson when we had, you know, this incident, and they're still in Ferguson. And the U.N. has charged the United States to clean up this racism and, you know, the segregation, you know, the institutional and systemic racism that, you know, unfortunately is imparted in this country through public policies. Um, There's so much that needs to be done. You know, we talk about different things here and there, and there are times when I go over things that I've already covered, but I think it's important because, you know, again, we get new listeners in all the time. So I, number one, do not want to neglect. But then also, you know, there are things that people forget. So I just want to make sure, again, that we um, cover that. And, you know, there are some international distinctions within this particular, you know, framework. And so civil rights derive from the constitution or laws of each country, while human rights are considered universal to all human beings. So as a result, international players are less likely to take action to enforce a nation's violation of its own civil rights, but more likely to respond to human rights violations. While human rights are universal in all countries, civil rights vary greatly from one nation to the next. No nation may rightfully deprive a person of a human right, but different nations can grant or deny different civil rights and liberties. Now, that's why it was so important for them to show up in Ferguson, because we sat back and we watched what happened, you know, in these other countries. We saw what happened in Egypt. Um, We saw what happened over in Syria. We saw what happened you know, down in Panama, you know, in just different places, what's been happening with the civil uprisings, um, 
And when I start talking about them, I'm not just talking about what's happened in the last decade or two. I'm talking about the last 50, 60, 70 years. You know, you've seen different uprisings in different parts of the country. Um, you saw what happened in with Iraq and what we're dealing with over there. And so, you know, again, we were talking about the, you know, international distinctions. It's just as important because <laughs> it's interesting the United States goes into these other countries, you know, Afghanistan, Kuwait, Iraq, so on and so forth, to liberate, if you will, these other countries. But when there's an uprising or a conflict here in this country, they send the military out to squash you know, said uprisings. And, you know, on the past couple of shows, we've talked about um, the militarization of the police. We also discussed how a lot of the military equipment is passed down to these police departments. And in order for them to keep the gear, basically, the hardware, they have to utilize it within a year. So that's why you see tanks rolling down the block and what's interesting is, you know, the National Guard is called out to restore order um, in these places. However, we've talked about a lot of the issues, and some of the solutions are, I, would, I wouldn't say they're quite simple. It's a simple solution. The implementation of those solutions is what's complex, but we'll get more into that, but Again, you know, I wanted to talk about human rights and civil rights and expound on those because I think it's important that you understand the terminology. So as we move forward and I start speaking about, you know, certain rights being human rights or civil rights, I want to make sure that you're well-versed on that. Um, In addition to that, in private conversations. So for some people, this may be, you know, old hat. You know, you may know, but there are some people out here who don't. So please Bear with me and be patient because, you know, human rights are inherent to everybody, to all human beings, you know, and it's regardless of your nationality, your residence, your sex, national or ethnic origin, your color, religion or non-religion, your language or any other status that they may use. Um, You know, human rights are yours regardless, period. And we are all entitled to these human rights, you know, without discrimination. Again, without discrimination. So, you know, all of these rights are interconnected. They're all interrelated. They're all interdependent and indivisible. So that's why you see me post that picture when I talk about oppression and I talk about how all oppressions are interconnected. This is what I'm talking about. You know, these are our human rights. So, you know, universal human rights are often expressed and guaranteed by law um, in the forms of treaties, customary international law, general principles, and other sources of international law. And, again, it lays down obligation of governments to act in certain ways or to refrain from certain acts in order to promote and protect, oh, I'm getting tongue-tied, promote and protect human rights and fundamental freedoms of individuals and or groups. So, again, these are universal and they're inalienable. And so, you know, basically um, it's the cornerstone of international human rights laws, you know, these principles. So, 
again, go out and read up on this, um, read up on the rights and the obligations, read up on the equal, the equality and the non-discrimination. It's extremely important that you know these things. Um, regarding civil rights, a civil right is an enforceable right or privilege, which if interfered with by another gives rise to an action for injury. So, you know, what was happening in Ferguson and even with the Civil Rights Movement, you know, tying all of this together and even with slavery, because, again, we're taking it from slavery to today and beyond. We have a right to peacefully protest. You have the right to peacefully protest. In some cities and states, they require a permit. You need to know your laws. Um, they require a permit for you to, you know, stand in front with a sign in some places, other places, not so much. Um, but you have a right to peacefully protest. And what was happening with the civil rights movement was that people of color, particularly black people, but you know, a lot of people don't realize that it also impacted Latinos, it impacted Asians, and other people of color, you know, also um, indigenous people. We can't leave them out. And the right to vote, the right to own land, the right to have agency over your own being. And so you have, you know, it causes injury. So what happened, you know, um, in Ferguson, you know, should serve as a very, very real example as to how a peaceful protest can affect change. And while they're still down there, they're still protesting, they're showing up to, you know, um, city council meetings, they, you know, the Department of Justice is investigating St. Louis County. Um, you know, some of the same things were happening with the civil rights movement. Um, there were people of color being denied the right to vote. At one point in time, um, they were denied the right to own land, even though there were some free blacks that owned land. Um, not all blacks were indigenous servants. Um, you know, I just want to make sure that I was clear with that. But in addition to that, other races were in Dietrich's service as well. And, you know, we'll get more in-depth with that a little bit later. But, you know, um, discrimination, you know, this occurs when the civil rights of an individual are denied or interfered with because they are a member of a particular group of cl or class. You know, so besides having issues um <laughs> with, you know, this black, white, people of color, these divides, you know, you also have the haves versus the have-nots. So, you know, this is where classism comes in. And to be a poor person of color, or even in the case of a poor white person, um, it's, it's just interesting. You know, I've been reading this book, and... It talks about that. The name of this book, and I would advise you guys to go and read it, is called The Color of Class, Poor Whites and the Paradox of Privilege. Now, one of the arguments that we hear most often from, you know, um, different whites was that 
they grew up poor, and they do not feel as though they <laughs> benefited from privilege. By virtue of having white skin, you're benefiting from privilege, believe me. But, again, you know, with with people of color, and particularly blacks, you know, this is something that we wear. You know, we can't change our skin color. So it's been discrimination from there on. But, you know, go out and understand the difference between a civil right and a human right. Understand, you know, about discrimination. Understand about, you know, being prejudiced. And, you know, the difference between racist, being prejudiced, and being discriminatory. There are differences between the three. And the reason why some blacks argue against being called racist is because we do not hold the power nor the privilege to um, undermine or oppress, you know, other cultures. So it's, it's, just, it's really interesting. So just go back and you read this. So let's talk a little bit about the American Civil Rights Movement. And basically, it's a mass protest. You know, um, it was a mass protest against racial segregation and discrimination. And, again, you know, they when people talk about the Civil Rights Movement, they point to the South. And a lot of people don't understand that there was a lot of racism. There still is a lot of racism and discrimination in the North. I love Chicago. Chicago is one of the most segregated cities. Martin Luther King even talked about it. And Chicago is actually a really hard city. If you can survive in Chicago, you can survive anywhere. And it's the subtle racism, the subtle discrimination that is more dangerous than the overt. So, you know, there is a lot of discrimination and racism that's, you know, perpetuated in the North then and now as well. Um, so it was just, it's really interesting. But, you know, with the Civil Rights Movement, a lot of people think that what happened in the 50s and the 60s was the Civil Rights Movement in and of itself. And that is not true. You know, the reason why we state that the Civil Rights Movement started with the first slave that hit this country, the first slave that arrived in America, is because those people were not brought here, <laughs> you know, by their own volition, if you will. Um, in 1619, um, that's when the first record of, you know, African slaves arriving in, you know, the United States. So this is why we talk about... Um, all of this. We want you to go back. But sixteen nineteen is when it was first put on the record that slaves arrived in this country. And not for one minute do we want you to believe that they were just passive. There were uprisings all over the place. You know, not only in the United States but throughout the country. You know, what's interesting is with a lot of the propaganda and, you know, the media, you know, suppressing a lot of stories is that, you know, people believe that, you know, these folks were passive and just took it. And, you know, I hear and see people writing things all over the place. Well, if it was me, I couldn't be a slave. I would have done A, B, C, D, 
trust me, they were fighting back. Um, I posted a story yesterday about the African immigrants in Israel. They've been having race riots over there, you know. So we're po- you know, we we post this information because this is happening all over the world. You know, people are rising up because their rights are being squashed or, you know, oppressed or suppressed. And, you know, they're being mistreated. But, you know, we we want to let people know you're not alone out here. You know, what was happening over in Israel with the Palestinians, you know, um, you know, I had some stories relayed to me that, you know, the Palestinians, well, some Palestinians thought that, with the election of Barack Obama, that black people in this country felt as though they had, quote-unquote, arrived and that they were on equal bearing with, you know, white people and that people of color had forgotten about other people of color who were being oppressed in other countries. And when they saw that, you know, we were standing behind them, you know, there were some of them that, you know, they were just outdone. They thought that we had forgotten about them or that we had abandoned them. No, no, we have not abandoned you. And, you know, again, all of these oppressions are interconnected. They're inter you know, related. So, no, we do not feel as though the civil rights or the human rights of anyone in any of these countries being denied is right. No, it is not right. So when we saw that the people in, you know, um, Afghanistan, the people in, you know, Palestine and, you know, Holland, you know, they were standing and they were marching in their countries for what was happening over here, not only with Ferguson, but also with the civil rights movement. You know, what happened in Africa with apartheid, you know, many of the people that were protesting over there found strength. In our civil rights movement, you know, what a lot of people aren't aware of is, you know, the Black Panthers, the Black Power, civil rights movement went far and beyond the United States. This is why we encourage you guys to read. I want you to look up, you know, Black Power in London. Look up Black Power in Canada, over in Holland, you know, with the Dutch. You know, it was happening all over the world. And what a lot of people in this country, in particular people of color, our history has been so suppressed that, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize that other countries look up to us. They look up to us, you know, and, you know, we look up to them as well. And, you know, they're looking to see what's happening over here. And, you know, are we standing up for ourselves and standing up for others? But anyway. You know, um, to me, civil rights began, you know, with slavery, with the first slavery uprising. So, trust me, you know, you had the runaway slaves, you had people, you had, uh, um, you know, the militias out there, you know, capturing the slaves. You had, you know, um, indigenous people, Native Americans, that were catching slaves, too. I believe it was $20 per head. So, you know, you're, um, what are those people called? You know, uh, you know, anyway, so, you know, the militias, and I'm trying to remember the name, you know, the people that go out and capture the fugitive hunters or what have you. So 
that's, you know, what was happening then and is still happening now. But the civil rights movement, in my opinion, started then, and the civil rights movement continues now, continues to this day, because although, you know, there was a passage of the Voting Rights Act, there was a passage of the Civil Rights Act, you know, some of those same rights were undermined and, and, and taken away through the passage of other acts. So, you know, the majority, I would say pretty much all of the gains that we made with the civil rights movement have been rolled back plus some, which is why you see people standing up and rising up. And this is why we tell you all that it's important for you all to go out and vote because, unfortunately, there are some people of color that are quote-unquote, public service, so we've elected them to, you know, either, you know, our city councils or the state legislatures or the federal government, so, uh, you know, our federal reps or senators, and, you know, some of them are part of the CBC, the Congressional Black Caucus, but they're not voting in our favor. We need to go out and really investigate. We need to become more politically aware. So, again, you know, it's just it's my opinion and the opinion of, you know, some others that the civil rights movement started the day the first slave uh, reached the shore of the United States. But primarily people focus on the, you know, the protests of the 50s and 60s. And basically through those particular protests, it broke the pattern of public facilities being segregated by race in the South, and, you know, it achieved some, you know, breakthroughs and equal rights legislation um, for black people, for African Americans since the Reconstruction. You've heard us talking about the Reconstruction, and this went on from 1865 through 1877. And I'm going to talk a little bit more a little bit later about how many civil rights acts there are. You know, and most people believe that there are only one or two. There were many, many more than that. So, you know, we'll talk about um, that a little bit more. And what's interesting is, you know, there are different things um, about each phase of the civil rights movement that's unique in and of itself. But primarily, when people talk about the civil rights movement, they're talking about Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, you know, um, the Black Panthers, you know, and a very bad light has been, you know, focused on the Black Panthers and Malcolm X in particular. And if it had not been for the Black Panthers, we wouldn't have a school breakfast program, you know, you wouldn't have WIC or SNAP, you wouldn't have a number of different things. There were a lot of programs that were implemented by the Black Panthers movement that were incorporated into government. So we got to talk about that. And we also have to talk about, you know, the media and media manipulation of people. You can't necessarily believe everything um, that media puts out there. You know, the United States media does play games with propaganda. They do propagandize, you know, quite a bit of what we see. And we've got Red Ninja with us today. Hey, Red. How you doing? I'm good, honey. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. 
excellent, excellent. So, you know, I'm just talking about, you know, uh, civil rights movement and how I feel it started in 1619 when the first recorded slave was brought on the U.S. shore. So, you know, giving a little back information and, you know, kind of giving some insight as to how this series is going to go um, in regards to talking about different people. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, with some of these um, civil rights movements, there are some people who believe that, you know, the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act made everything better. It fixed everything. So they don't understand why blacks are complaining. Not only blacks, it's people of color because, again, you know, we had people, you know, we had Latinos. We had, and if you want to look up something about the Latinos and the civil rights movement, look up the Young Lords. You know, the Young Lords, it came from, they sprouted off of the Black Panther movement. As a matter of fact, Geraldo Rivera was the lawyer for the Young Lords branch in New York. So I need for you all to look this information up. Um, You know, we had Asians out there protesting with us. You know, we're going to get more into that, especially in Part 3. We're going to talk a little bit about it in Part 2. And, yes, I overlap some of this. And, yes, I tell you all to listen to the series because it overlaps. But, again, you know, there are a lot of people that are misinformed or just do not know that there were people of other races who stood with us. There were people of other races, yeah, who were, you know, enslaved or indentured indentured servants with us. So when you hear white people saying, well, whites were slaves too, that's true. That is true. However, however, they were only slaves for seven years, and then they were set free. And initially, that's how, yeah, that's how it was with blacks as well. Yeah, because it was indentured servitude. Exactly. They were and their servitude was a thing. And like one of the things that a lot of people miss is that when a lot of the Europeans are coming from the colony, um, when they were coming from you know places like Britain and you know the greater European areas, um, you had a lot of families that came to America because they were trying to escape even poorer conditions. And you know, with a lot of you know British immigrants. What tended to happen was that British immigrants were forced often into taking indentured servitude contracts just so that they could survive. Um, right. And it was limited, but very frequently, I mean, at that point, there was very little difference between an indentured servitude and a black slave, except the black slave had it even worse for not having a contract that said that they could be freed after seven years. Um and then, you know, when we also talk about, I love the point that you brought up, too, regarding the fact that America is not just responsible for black persecution, but also Asian persecution. A lot of people also forget that Chinese people were also brought as slaves during the 19th century at just about the same time that black slavery was ending, when the railroad companies right. were actually starting to build railroads. Chinese people were actually brought over and forced to death to actually build these railroads, and they were given no rights, and they were made exactly. slaves as well. And Japanese Americans were interned during World War II mm-hmm. after the invasion, after after 
um, the Pearl Harbor attack. Um, and this exactly. is the, it was the, it was the same kind of knee jerk um, reaction that took place that is now taking place against several African Americans in regards exactly. to the in regards to you know the new Jim Crow and what's happening with African Americans being thrown in jail and what's happening with African Americans that are being disenfranchised. The Japanese Americans had. Several of these same incidents happened when they were interned openly yeah. and unapologetically by our American, yeah. by the American government. Oh yeah, don't forget the, the same thing of not acknowledging, well. right? And just not acknowledging the fact that America has blood on its hands, and it's very much guilty of essentially petting one group as the enemy and its own as good. Yeah. And yes. It's a shameful thing to have seen, and that's why it was necessary for a lot of these groups and Latinos and Jewish Americans who suffered and who actually fled to America after the Holocaust to band together because a persecuted people know its own. Right. Exactly, and that's what they're afraid of now. They're afraid of us coming together, and this is why, you know, I talk about these Tea Partiers and Libertarians and these conservative Republicans and some Democrats. There are some racist Democrats out here. Don't think that we don't have any, you know, just like we got some Uncle Ruckuses running around in our, you know, in our, you know, society as well. And And, and we can't forget, too, that we can't forget, mm -hmm. too, that the Democratic Party was, of course, once responsible for being against the civil rights movement. Exactly. So we can't whitewash it, that either. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why, you know, I'm I'm glad that you're here and, you know, you're reinforcing because, you know, a lot of people do not know this history. And so that's why, you know, we're taking our time, we're bringing it up. More than likely we're going to go into overtime today because there's so much material that needs to be put out here. And I want to take my time, if you all don't mind. Because, you know, I need for you to understand this because in order for you to understand the third part of the series, you really do need to understand the first and the second. So I would strongly suggest that you listen to them in order because it's telling a story. It's telling the history. And we're going to be hitting some points. This is not comprehensive by any means, but that's why, again, you know, the the most wonderful thing that ever happened was the Internet. This is why we're telling you guys to go against this net neutrality. I'm telling you, it's the devil. But you, you know, you need to find out what's happening. You need to see because not only will your Internet slow down, they'll be able to basically um, – um, basically black out some pages and websites, you know, so a lot of the freedoms that we have now are going to be taken away. Please read, people. Please, 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 if you don't understand it, email me. You something. Talk to one of us. You know, we have a Twitter chat every Thursday on People of Color Beyond Faith. I think we're going to expand that to a couple of nights a week, so, you know, um, Eventually, because I'm tired right now, y'all. Y'all just don't know what it takes to do everything that we do. It takes a lot of energy, and, you know, I've I've shared this with you all before, and I'll share it again today, but I have lupus. So, you know, my body shuts down on me. 
which is why, you know, I, I wasn't around the past couple of Sundays. I just haven't been feeling well. But, you know, I found some energy this week, and I just think it's important that we talk about this. And um, so, you know, we're moving on. Excuse me. So, you know, I get a little choked up sometimes, but it's okay. But anyway, so, you know, getting back on par, um, yeah, we, we need for you to understand that there were other cultures, other races, other ethnicities, you know, um, that were in the same position as ourselves. And as Red Ninja said, you know, um, the white ones had the luxury of having a contract. Now, when I say luxury, I put that in quotes because who wants to be an indentured servant? But they knew after seven years that they would be free. And, you know, again, coming back, you know, when the first Africans or the first slaves were brought to the United States, um, they were here working on, you know, cotton and tobacco farms, and their working and living conditions were horrible. And the South depended on the slaves because they needed people to work those fields. So they depended on the slaves, which is why, you, you know, you see them, you know, talking about, you know, most of the red states um, are in the South. You know, you have some up north, too, you know, not ignoring them, but um, they're still really upset about that slavery thing. But, again, it's just I want you guys to read. Um, You know, there were free blacks. You know, we've talked about that, about, uh, you know, how some black people own slaves. That is true. Some of the free blacks own slaves, but some of the slaves that they own were relatives. They purchased the freedom of some relatives. Um, right. And but there were some that did own slave slaves. So, you know, I, I can't clean that up. You know, if I'm not going to clean it up for this group, I'm sure as hell not going to clean it up for us. But unfortunately, the free blacks, you know, that were there, some of them were allowed to own land. In some places, it was against the law for blacks to own land. But they had very few rights. They weren't um, allowed to express their political views. They weren't allowed to carry guns. And they were not supposed to meet with white people. You know, I want you to think about that and think about what's happening <laughs> in this country now about um, when people of color express their political views through peaceful protests. You see what just happened. Um, We put out a story about um, this militia group. It was a mixed-race militia group in Detroit. The only person that was arrested in that group was the black guy. Go back to the Black Panthers, what happened in California when they went to the um, state legislature, and they were asserting their gun rights. Then all of a sudden, Ronald Reagan and everybody started, you know, the NRA decided that uh, we need to change these laws because, you know, blacks were pro-gun. And so it's just interesting, and this is why we tell you all to pay attention to the broken window policies or, you know, the policing, and pay attention to Leah in which, you know, any minor, you know, Law, well, they, they were just making it, making things up as they went along. The whites were creating laws, you know, just out of the blue, arbitrary laws. And again, um, were, I, I just want to make sure that I mentioned too. Um, I, I, I think it's also important for people, and I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I apologize, but no, um, okay, honey, yeah, I, I want people should also be paying attention to how many first world countries um, don't 
consider this necessary within their policies. You don't see this level of crassness in regards to the treatment of lower middle class populations in countries like Britain and Canada. This is be, right. and it's because America has a vested interest in creating an economy where the lower middle class have to lose. Exactly. So it's this is not even this is a large part of it is racism, but the other thing you have to do is that even if it wasn't, if somebody can actually profit off of a certain class or a certain group of people being on the lower rung, they'll do it because it makes them money. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that the way that our economy is set up, that we have to have a certain percentage of people unemployed and underemployed in order for our economy not to collapse. Right. You know, so we want you to go out and, you know, get a basic understanding of economics. Um, but, you know, there are different versions of economics, and, you know, one day maybe we'll do a show about what happened to Argentina. <laughs> anyway, it's all, you know, yeah, getting it's, back you know, it's to... It's the same, too. It's the same because mm-hmm. a lot of, like, you don't ever find these kinds of things out in our public education system pre-college. Right. You have to actually go and pay for your education in order to actually be told these kinds of backstories and to actually yeah. be exposed to this history. You know, I didn't I wasn't even aware of guys like Toussaint Louverture. Yes. Until I actually went to college. I wasn't yes. aware of, you know, guys like James Baldwin and Bayard Rustin and all of these figures yeah. within the civil rights movement until I went to college. And that is ridiculous. Exactly. And that's why and I believe that this show is so ignorant. important. Exactly. And that's what they want. They want to keep them ignorant. That's why earlier in the show I said, you know, how they don't want you to know this history because the history is a weapon. Not only is it a weapon in order to rebut, you know, attacks that we receive from some white people, but it's also a weapon to help build up your self-esteem, your self-confidence to know what we have contributed to this country and other places throughout the world, to know that we were just not sitting back and passively allowing this to happen. You know, so it's right. important for us to know that. But, yeah, that's why I think this show is important because we put this information out there and, you know, you know, we we do it. It's free. It's free. I mean, one day I'm going to take a picture of all the books that I have. I'm looking on top of my chest now, and I'll say there are probably 30 books right there. Over here on my nightstand, I'll say there's about 12 books right here. On top of my headboard is probably 15 books, and in my living room I probably got about 20, 25 books. I read. I read. When I'm sick and I can't do anything, I read. You know, I gave up the television, doing nothing but rotting my brain. So, um, you know, and then there are times when my hands don't work, so I can't. Anyway, so that's another story. But, um Getting back on par. <clears throat> All right, so we talked about, you know, how there were some whites that were indentured servants in this country. And I'm going to back it up and go back to this because I need for you to understand what happened. Because in 1640, something extremely important happened. Three slaves 
or indentured servants ran away. Two were white and one was black. James Gregory was a white guy. Victor, they don't have his last name listed, was the other white guy, the second white guy. And the black guy, his name was John Punch. Like, punch you in the neck, punch, right? It's important for you all to know that name, John Punch. All three of the guys were captured. The white guys, the two white men, were sentenced to four additional years of servitude. But John Punch was sentenced to serve for life. It's important that you understand what I just said. He was sentenced to life of indentured servitude. And from that point forth is when everything changed. And what makes John Punch also extremely important is John Punch, the black guy, is a distant relative to Barack Obama's mother. Interesting. So I want you guys, you know, we're telling you this for a reason. You know, um, it was just it's, it's interesting. Um, the guy that owned John Punch, his name was Hugh Gwynn. And, you know, basically it's just it's interesting. You need to go back and read up and see what happened. Because, again, this happened in the state of Virginia, um, and they also got 30 lashes. They were publicly caning people back then. Well, it's not public caning, but I like to call it public caning. But, you know, they were receiving, you know, 30 lashes for that. So, again, you know, when we had Jeffrey Perry on the show, we want you guys to go back and listen to that show. That was a really, really good show. And Jeffrey Perry, you know, talked a lot about John Punch and, he was discussing about what happened in John Punch's life. So, you know, Jeffrey Perry, who's a member of our community, he's been on the show. We're going to have him back, you know, um, next year sometime. And, you know, we'll talk about some more. Um, it's just it's really interesting, you know, how all of this is interrelated. What do they call it, six degrees of separation? So the two white guys that escaped with John Punch one was a Dutch man, and the other one was a Scotsman. Now, you know, um, Jeffrey Perry expounded on this expertly, um, and, you know, we've talked about it, and we want you to understand, they were not considered white. They were considered a Dutch man. They were considered a Scotsman. They were considered, you know, an Irish man, so on and so forth. And, you know, people, I know they... I know you give me the side eye when I say the only true white people were white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. That is true. They were the only ones that were considered white, if you will. And now we have ethnic whites. So now, the, you know, the Scotsman, the Irishman, the Dutchman, you know, they are ethnic whites. And so how would you define whiteness? And I'm just going to read you the definition here, but it says, defining whiteness is really difficult because it is a default category. Understand, listen to what it says, default category. It's something that we don't define. And part of whiteness is the fact that whites don't have to think about race. And, the you know, so basically it's default. They don't have to think about race. So, you know, if you've ever had these conversations you know, with different whites, you want to have dialogue that are open to dialogue. They'll say, well, I don't think about race. You all think about race all the time. 
we don't have the luxury of not thinking about race. So, you know, it's it's really interesting. Right, um, and the and the people that are asking this to not think about race are thinking about race as well. That should exactly. be pointed out too. Exactly, exactly. The people that no ask us not to think about it had to think about it in order to make us not think about it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's right, that's right. And there is no such thing as colorblind. It's when someone tells you that they are colorblind, what they're doing is they are basically disregarding, you know, you and your feelings. They're basically trying to shut down the argument and do not allow that to happen. There is no such thing as colorblindness. So, again, um, I just want to make sure that you all understand that whiteness is the default. This is why when they start telling us, you know, that they're a little, um, you know, upset with the fact that we have black in front of our names and why must we have that, and they don't have a white free thinkers or, you know, a white atheist. And I'm like, that's because you're the default. You are the default, and it's interesting because when we put black free thinkers out there or black skeptics or what have you, you know, they get upset because they are not the center of the conversation anymore. They are not the norm. They are not the default. So, you know, it's it's a lot into the psychology of that. Some of them don't even realize what they're saying to us. And, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago on the last show that I did, you know, I've just given up on trying to explain certain things because if you are truly trying to be anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-homophobic, it is incumbent on you to do the heavy lifting and to decide to change. I can't convince you. It's not my job to convince you to not do that anymore. It's not my job to, to educate you as to why you shouldn't be that way. I'm just, I'm not going to do it. And I strongly advise you to do some research on your own. You know, what's interesting is black women are on the lowest rung of the ladder, but yet we are expected, it's demanded of us to teach and educate everybody. And it's not fair. So anyway, going back to, you know, what is whiteness, you know, again, now, um, you have people they may put Polish or Irish or Italian, um, you know, in front of their name as part of their national origin. But these people are what I call honorary white people. They're ethnic whites. So um, it's just really interesting. But, yes, they are the default. So ethnicity, you know, or whiteness or race or what have you, may say they may say it doesn't matter, but it really does. Um it gives them a sense of privilege. And this is what we're talking about when we say white privilege. Um, it's a sense of superiority. It's a sense that society is stacked in your favor. Listen up, stacked in your favor. That is what that privilege is. And that you can do and say whatever you like because in American society, this is interwoven into the fabric of our society. And this is why... I find it interesting. We always talk about the tea partiers and the libertarians and some of the super uber conservative whites that you see out here protesting and talking about they want their country back. This is what they're talking about. Because what happened is, you know, 
they're out here, they're vying for a new social contract. Okay, so I want you all to think about Occupy Wall Street and why, you know, a lot of young whites were out there protesting with Occupy Wall Street. You know, that particular social contract is pretty much up. That money is pretty much dried up, and they want a new social contract. So part of that social contract, you know, is this unwritten, is unspoken, but it's understood, is that they will continue to oppress particularly black people. So, you know, we start talking about white supremacy, okay, white supremacy, white privilege. This is what we're talking about. You know, we are talking about this particular system. It's a sense of entitlement, you know, that comes with being white. You know, they try to say that, you know, blacks have a sense of entitlement, and there are some that do in certain regards, but it's not the same. You know, there is a sense of entitlement that comes with being white. So, you know, again, during this time, you know, with some of the free blacks, um, it was nothing for a white person to see a black person in the street and to beat them or to push them off the sidewalk. You know, when a white person would walk on the sidewalk and there were two or three blacks, the blacks had to step off the sidewalk to let the white people pass by. So... You know, again, you know, I'm trying to stay on topic here. But John Punch, I want you guys to go and 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 look him up and 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 find out what happened. Another name that I want you to look up is John Caser, C A S O R. Again, John Caser. So in 1654, you know, John Caser, who was a black man claimed to have completed his, you know, his term, his, his seven years. And he became the first legally recognized slave for life in a civil case in Virginia. And so the court ruled that the, the, the master, the slave master, um, that, you know, he should serve for life. So John Caser, C-A-S-O-R, is another person that you need to look up. Okay. So it's interesting, Um, you know, you all, I I want you all to understand um, what's happening and, you know, how all of this came about. And so um, in 1662, Virginia, now mind you, all of this is happening in Virginia. So a Virginia law defined that the children of enslaved mothers followed the status of their mothers and were considered slaves regardless of their father's status. Now, before then, it was the opposite, that the children inherited their father's status. It was during this time when they reversed that, and the children were now considered under their mother's status. This is how a lot of the slave masters were able to cover up outside children from raping and, you know, having affairs with, you know, slave women. So it's, it's, it's always a reason behind some of this, and this is why, you know, we encourage you guys to go out and read. But, again, you know, we're talking about civil rights, and, you know, these people went through horrible conditions. Their civil rights, their human rights, all of that was denied them. And so it's just it's you know, it's a lot of information, a lot of information to cover. Uh, and, Kim, uh, um, 
one of the one of the I think one of the things too, um, if I may say, one of the reasons why this doesn't get said a lot is that um when you when we talk about these historic issues and when we talk about, you know, the history of the civil rights movement, I honestly think at least here in America, one of the bigger reasons why you don't get a lot of these kinds of backstory is because a lot of America's education leaders are very much afraid that the teenagers that are in high school that are going to read these history books are going to find out how closely religion actually plays exactly. into the conflict and and how exactly. and and just how deeply Christians were involved in fighting civil rights especially in the yes. south and there's yes. you know like again you know when we when we talk about you know the history of slavery not once not once until I went to until I went to university in my early 20s it was the first time that I actually found out that the reason why they were able to actually justify their racism and justify being against the anti-civil uh, rights movement was largely because of the influence of the Bible and exactly. largely because of how pro-slavery the Bible actually was. And you can't have that kind of detail in a country where 85% of its citizens um, consider themselves Christian and yes. where it is absolutely important that our educational leaders maintain a Christian nation, quote unquote, in the interest. Exactly, you know what I mean. They, they, you can't okay. like you can't have you can't have kids, you know, under the age of eighteen, look at that and question their parents' religion and question the, the values of the Bible. You can't have that. So we're going to sequester that knowledge over here, where you have to pay to learn these kinds of things. That was open season at the time of that these things were happening, and at the time that the civil rights movement was actually beginning. You know, you can't have exactly. people learning about why the Bible is not a tool or a moral guide. So of course they're going to keep that part of our his, the history of the civil rights movement um, locked off. You're not going to exactly. hear about it because it would be an exactly. instant rebellion against. For you know, it, it, it would it would cause havoc. To so many families to have to explain why their ancestors used the Bible to justify mm-hmm. oppression and slavery. Exactly, exactly. And this is why when we, you know, um, this is why shows like this, you know, what we're doing is not believe And I see you there, Deborah. Let me pull her into the conversation. But yeah. I'm going to um, finish my statement. Let me finish my statement, Deborah. But hey, girl. Um, basically, this is why what we're doing is considered by some as dangerous. And what I mean by what we're doing, I'm talking about not only telling you about this history, but for those of us that have rejected religion. Now, I will be the first one to say that it is extremely difficult being out as a non-believer. Your life changes. People treat you differently. Um, you know, you got some people that run away from us. Um, the other people, you know, I mean, I get strange looks sometimes, but sometimes I get people, there was this older black woman, she was like, well, that's all right, too. That woman got an extra hug. That day. I didn't know who she was, but when she told me that it was okay, I hugged her. But, um, you know, this is why this is considered dangerous, is because we reject 
the religion. We reject the whitewashed history. We reject all the bullshit that they're bringing to us because it's like, you know, I can read, motherfucker, and I can comprehend. And right. this is not what it says. It says this. So it's just it's really interesting, but let me give the um, call-in number. The call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. We have 28 minutes left of the live podcast, but we're going to go into overtime. So I'm telling you now, I'm giving you 30 minutes in advance because once this 28 minutes is over, you won't hear anything else. You will have to listen to the archives. But I'm going into overtime. I know because there's so much material that I want to cover, and I want to take my time and do it right, okay? So, um, you know, we talked about John Kaser. We talked about John Punch. Please look that up. Please. And then also look up the 1662 Virginia law that swapped the stories, well, basically swapped the statuses around. So now children were considered to follow the status of their mother as opposed to following the status of their fathers. Because what was happening is a lot of the slave masters were, you know, having children with the slaves. They were raping them, having relations, having affairs, or what have you. And those children, they had to acknowledge those children and support those children in some cases. And that is not what they wanted. So, um, you know, you need to understand the history. You need to know, you know, how far to go back, um, you know, and why it overturned, you know, the long-held principle of what was considered English common law. Okay, so go back and read this up, and again, it enabled slaveholders as well as other white men to hide their mixed-race children. And, um, it, you know, it removed their responsibility to acknowledge, support, or emancipate the children. And, again, I want you to listen to that. I'm going to repeat it, and I want you to think about the narrative that they're putting forth today in regards to black men. And, you know, it says it removed their responsibility to acknowledge, support, or emancipate the children. And, you know, the narrative that they try to put out here in the media is that black men abandon their children. And that is not necessarily the case. There are a bunch of wonderful black men out here that love their children, that, you know, support their children. And I'm glad more stories like that are coming out. But, again, I just want you all to pay attention, to pay attention to how, you know, this right. was going on then. Because it's important Um I'm not going to go into a lot of details about Bacon's Rebellion of 1676, but we'll just say it was everybody, black, white, you know, all in that rebellion. So, uh, yeah, you know, go back and read up on uh, Bacon's Rebellion, and you will be enlightened. You definitely will be enlightened um, on this particular story. Uh you know, about what was happening, but, you know, I'm going to speed it up just a little bit because there's so much that I want to share that it's just it's, it's important. But, again, 1619 is when the first slaves arrived, you know, in Virginia. You know, it's just interesting. Something about Virginia, all of this shit started there. And interesting enough, the name of the ship that 
arrived in Virginia, it was called the White Lion. The mm-hmm. White Lion, L-I-O-N. And it had about 20 slaves on it. And so, you know, the colonists, you know, the, the people that, quote, unquote, discovered America that were living here, you know, they were starving, they were struggling, having a, having a hard time. As a matter of fact, if you want to go and look up something interesting, look up the colonists as well as cannibalism. Yeah. To see what was happening then. It was not all, you know, happy days are here again, you know, for you all to understand what happened. And so the Africans that were brought here, you know, they joined the poor people as, you know, indentured servants. So um, in 1777, Vermont was the first state to abolish slavery. So, you know, I thought that was interesting. Um, and that's something that you all needed to know. Earlier I was talking about the militias and, you know, the slave catchers and how it was $20 a head and how some, you know, some Native Americans, you know, um, were captured, they were slave catchers as well. And so the Fugitive Slave Act was um, passed in 1793, and it guaranteed the right of the slaveholders to recover an escaped slave. Okay, so and what happened with that is that it made every escaped slave a fugitive for life. So, you know, you're on the run for the rest of your life. It made it a crime to assist a fugitive or slave in escaping. And so uh, that person would face prison and a fine for helping them to escape um, or helping a fugitive, but um, but only a fine for helping a slave. So it was just interesting. Um it created a legal mechanism by which escaped slaves could be seized in any state, brought before a magistrate and returned to their masters, giving states the right to demand a slave be returned. And you all are trying to figure out how some of these laws that are now in this country, where it came from, there it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when you hear about people being extradited, that is where that came from. Uh, so it's just it's really interesting. Um, you know, I want you guys to go back. Eighteen thirty-one, Nat Turner, very very important person in history. He led a slave rebellion. You know, fifty-seven white people were killed, and they said, you know, the U.S. troops again, United States troops, military people killed a hundred slaves. It was more than a hundred slaves. And, you know, that is when Nat Turner was, you know, they hung him. So, um, you know, I want you guys to understand, you know, what was happening. In 1808, the importation of slaves is banned in the U.S. You know, so, you know, even though the slave trade continued, they banned, you know, importing slaves. So... Mm. You know, again, you know, we can't go over everything. Like I said, it's not comprehensive, but there are just important things that I need for you all to understand. In 1861 is when the southern states succeeded from the Confederate states and formed the Confederate States of America. They left the United States and they they formed the Confederate States, and that is when the Civil War began. So, um Go back, read up on this. Um, can't forget about the Dred Scott case. 
go back and read up on that about how slaves do not become free when taking when taken into a free state. So, and that Congress cannot bar slavery from a territory, and that blacks cannot become citizens. So, that Dred Scott case and the citizenship of blacks. You know, you need to go back and read upon that. Um, you read about the Compromise of 1850. It's important that you go back and you get that information. But, you know, I would be remiss if I did not take time out to talk about the women of that era and how women played a very vital part in, you know, history in particular with the Civil Rights Movement. And, again, I say it started when the very first slaves hit this shore in 1619. You know, we have to talk about Harriet Tubman. What a woman. Yes. What a woman. What a woman. I mean, you know, she she was all a five-foot-two. She was illiterate, and she was an escaped slave, and she had firearms. She worked with a gun. She was, she was like, once you start this journey, there is no turning back. So, you know, you start it, you finish it. And she was, you know, the conductor. And she wore a lot of different hats. And, you know, they have pictures of her. And this woman is absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal, beautiful woman. Just absolutely love her. And so, you know, we can't forget her. We have to acknowledge, you know, what she contributed to you know, the civil rights movement to, you know, the Underground Railroad. It's, it's just it's extremely important. Wow. So, um, and you know, it's a lot of history there. Go ahead, babe. And, and what she said back then still radiates today when she said, I could have saved more slaves if, if they knew they were slaves. There are a lot of people today don't even know that they're still slaves. You know, they think yes. they're so free. You know what I'm saying? And I, I thought it was, I read about, you know, when she she went, when she finally, well, she never finally really stopped what she was doing completely, but she went up to, I don't forget what state, was it Chicago somewhere, where she was, uh, she, she met this lady, and they were the best of friends. And after her death, do you know, she didn't, she didn't even know, that was her sister. Oh, That's wow. You, you know what I'm saying? See how they used to take people from families and stuff? They found yes. out after she died that that lady was a sister. They were the best of friends, but they, they didn't know they were sisters. Isn't that Wow. Crazy? That is wonderful. Wow. I mean, that's an incredible story for an incredible that person. Yes. That's how, that, I mean, that's how they screwed, up, uh, screwed us up. You know what I'm saying? And it's I yeah. I I even sometimes tell my son, you know, because they be out there, you know, I'm not out there right, like that right now. But they be out there in the public a lot. I say you don't even know if that's your cousin, 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 cousin. You know, your oh, man. cousin. Oh man. I say you don't I... even know. You know, these people, these people change. When you you were with Master Master Smith, and when Master Smith go and sell you to Master uh, Coleman. You become slave Coleman. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And yes. we're so freak. We're so screwed up. We ought to understand. That's why we need to come together because that could be your your blood people. 
over here. You understand what I'm saying? Exactly. All of us are so connected, and we don't and, even know it. And I'll tell you something else, too. Like, that, what you just said was so powerful. Like, we don't know yes. who our family is. We don't. Right. And we don't know. And I can't t- there are There are actual stories just within my family of people marrying family members that they didn't even know were actual family members. There was one exactly. person, I'm not even going to mention their name, that he was an elderly man, a man involved in the church, and didn't even know that his wife was actually his sister. Mm-hmm. Did literally wow. did not know that he married his half-sister. Right. Until 20 wow. years into their marriage. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, how that is that unfair. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it does. You know, it's, it's remarkable because, I mean, I believe we can all tell some stories about, you know, that I remember my freshman year in college. And, mm-hmm. you, know, I, you know, I went to a Big Ten, you know, and basically met this guy. You know, met a lot of people, but it was this one guy. And, you know, you know he looked at my name and he started asking me some questions. And, you know, we were talking. And we started comparing stories. Found out that was my cousin. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was just, you know, it's amazing. You know, and I've I've, I've met people like that, too. I've met them like that, too. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why I think it's important that we get together and we share these stories and, you know, uh, you know, the genealogy, just go back and, you know, find each other. You know, a lot of records were destroyed, and they did yeah. that on purpose. And so, but again, you know, let's go back to Harriet Tubman because, you know, this is a phenomenal woman. Mm-hmm. And um, basically, um, when in 1844 she married John Tubman, a free man, her owner died in 1849, and she fled to Philadelphia. And she told the biographer that when she crossed the Mason-Dixon line, the sun came, and I quote, the sun came up like gold through the tree and over the field, and I felt like I was in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just, it was just absolutely wonderful. And she repeatedly returned to the eastern shore to free others. And basically, mm-hmm. if the fugitives got cold feet, she threatened to shoot them. You know, so, <laughs> so you know, she was like, you going, you know, and mm-hmm. on one of her return trips, she found out that her husband had taken another wife. So um, it was just, you know, she just, she's just a beautiful woman. Look up to find her. You know, she contributed a lot to this country. She was giving information, you know, to, you know, the authorities, you know, where they needed and, you know, she sold and baked for the Union, you know, soldiers. And, you know, she was full of pride. And she should have been. She was a remarkable, absolutely remarkable woman. So mm-hmm. I want you to go back and I want you to look her up. I want you to look up so Sojourner Truth. Look yeah. her up yeah. too. Oh, you yeah. know, she yeah. was born into slavery as well. And, you know, she had 13, you know, she was one of 13 children. And she never got to know any of her brothers and sisters because they were mm-hmm. sold away as slaves. Mm-hmm. And so um, she had five kids herself, and, you know, some of them were sold off. But she was released 
following the New York anti-slavery law of 1827, and slavery wasn't abolished nationwide for another 35 years. And she lived with a Quaker family. Now, people laugh at me when I say this, but I am so serious. If all hell ever breaks loose in this country, I'm going to live with the Quakers. If y'all want to know where the hell I am, find me somewhere in Pennsylvania on some damn Quaker farm, scooping some damn, yeah, I'm going to do something because it's just not going to happen. So, you know, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Quakers, you know, they've played an instrumental and vital part in the freeing of slaves and the taking in and taking care of people. For those that aren't familiar, Bayard Rustin's mother was a Quaker. He was raised, you know, as a Quaker. So, you know, understand the history, understand the significance. This is why when I hear certain people, you know, saying that believers are the enemy, I just can't get down with that. I can't. It was so many of them that helped us. And I'm talking about during that time, even now. You know, a lot of these believers, you know, believe it or not, if if something were to happen to me and I went to certain people, certain believers, and I asked for help, they would help Mm -hmm. me. Even knowing that I'm a non-believer, they will help me. Unfortunately, you do not see a lot of that in this community, especially with this, you know, vein of libertarianism. In this community, it's like you're on your own, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, we talk about social justice in this community, and I even put it out there to the community. Even if you do not want to help people that are outside of the secular community, do you at least want to help the people in the community? Damn, come on. And they don't care. They want all the toys, and they want to take your toys, and and they want to run away with them. But hold on, let me make this last point. If they don't give a damn about people in this community, you know they sure as hell don't give a damn about anybody else. And I need for you all to think about that and to understand that. But go ahead, Red. I was going to say, um, it's the thing that is um, unfortunate about a lot of atheists within the community is that what they do is a lot of them turn around and they do the same thing that Christians, most, some, most Christians do, which is that exactly. there's either one side or the other. Mm-hmm. But you can't, we live in a shade of gray here in America that should not allow for that. And what you said about knowing certain Christians that would help you in a time of need, um, I know there are several men and women within my family that would die for me as Christians, my mother being one of them. Mm-hmm. And I will love her until the day I die. It doesn't matter what God she believes in because she's right. my mother. Exactly. And I would actually reach out to those within the Christian community and help them when they need a hand. Exactly. And because, you know what? I'm bigger than my religious differences. Exactly. Because we're still human because beings it's a, yes. at the end of the day. Well, I was just going to say, if you understand the history of how all mm-hmm. of this developed, the the brainwashing, then right. you, you understand uh, the predicament that we're in, that how it started, why they're like that. It's simple as that. I mean, it's no hate there. You understand? Right. You're trying to 
wake them up, basically, because it's, it's time for everybody to wake up because this is what's been holding us back as, 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 as a, a whole. We need to come together. These are things that divide us, okay? And right. we need to come together. As simple as that. Exactly. We don't hate. No such exactly. thing. How can you hate? What they say, hate the, hate, hate the crime, but don't hate the. How did they go? You know, don't, don't hate, hate the players, players, don't hate, don't the, hate game. the game. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Right, but that's what I'm yeah, talking but about. No, you're right. You're right, but see, okay, let me give you, we're down to the last eight minutes of the live podcast. The call-in number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. We're going to go into overtime. you got eight minutes. It's going to cut off in eight minutes, but if you dial in, you can listen to the rest of the show. And we got, you know, we have lines open, so you can just dial in and listen in if you want to hear the rest of it. But we do encourage you to listen to the archives. Yes, we do. Thank you so very kindly. But, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, what's so interesting about all of that is basically, um, especially in this community, we have to go beyond ideology. Atheism is not enough. Christianity uh-huh. is not enough. It's a bigger picture. There's, there's bigger issues. And none of us are really afforded the right to disregard the other because we still live together. And then there's this little vein of racism in there because I'm like, you know, there is some white supremacy in in some of the tenets of atheism. Um, and... I'll get into it one day because I've had a chance to sit back and think about a lot of stuff. And this is why you hear us shutting a lot of stuff down and why, you know, I do a lot of comparative analysis because, you know, many of them bring a lot of that, you know, religious thought process or group thinking Uh over to the secular community. And I point it out, and I'm like, you all don't see this, do you? I'm like, you're doing the same thing. And even though I'm a part of this community, sometimes I feel like an outlier, if you will, that I'm just sitting here on the sidelines watching this like a tennis match, you know, watching the ball ping-pong across the net. And both sides not realizing that they're saying the same exact thing and, and exerting the same type of actions and beliefs. And I'm sitting here because I'm amused. I'll tell you, you all tickle the shit out of me. Well, I get to watch some of this. But anyway, so if you all want to listen to the rest of it, call on in. But, you know, we want you to check out Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth. You know her, um, when she gave the speech and she was saying, ain't I a woman? You know, to me, (laughs) hey, hey now, you know, this was during the Women's Rights Convention. So when you have people talking about feminism and how feminism isn't for black women, that was one of the most famous feminists. Ever. We have always Absolutely. been a part of the feminist community. As a matter of fact, I believe we even started because, you know, you know the, the rights as a woman, a black woman had no rights. So, I That's mean, right. you know, I'm going to get Raina on, and we're going to talk about um, feminism and how it started way back when. And we're also going to yeah. talk about um, the prohibition and domestic violence and feminism and, you know, um, kind of related to what's happening now, what happened with Janae Rice and a number of other people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, when, when it comes to domestic violence in the black community and giving black women a voice, 
that has been suppressed. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. But look up Sojourner Truth. You know, Miss, I ain't a woman. So this mm-hmm. is extremely important that you understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And other black women, you know, that have been part of the movement, you know, I just want to put a few names out there so that you all can understand that it just wasn't, you know, a few women. There were a bunch of women bunch that of were women. part That's of right. this. That's well, right. You know, and uh, an anti-lynching movement. And actually somebody mm-hmm. got actually really angry with me and straight pissed off because I posted an article in the nation from the nation and it was talking about it's time for a 21st century anti-lynching movement. And it is true because there is a, a, it's a, it's a great, you know, parallelism, if you will, between what's happening now with the police and other white folks executing black people, not only black men, but black women too. You got to put us all in here. Executing us out in the middle of the street. It is lynching exactly. by another name. And so, you know. And um, don't forget, know, so too, that the KKK is still acting and is yes. still out there in the open insisting yes. on their right mm-hmm. to actually do this exact same thing. Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So it's important it, that you, you get when to you, know. When that KKK is still out there insisting that they still have the right to actually persecute minorities. Yes. We already know what time it is. I'm not shutting yeah. my mouth. Exactly. 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 So that's why, you know, we're talking about, look up Ida B. Wells. I went to school with her grandson. We went to the same college. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, look it up. Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. I'm telling you guys, these women were powerful. Women are powerful to this day. Many of us just don't realize how powerful that's we right. are. But I want you all to look up that article. Paula J. Giddings wrote this for The Nation, and the title is, It's Time for a 21st Century Anti-Lynching Movement. And, you know, this white guy got extremely angry with me, saying that, you know, uh, know, uh, why am I agitating folks? And some non-black person by the name of Ebony was saying that I was, you know, agitating already marginalized people. But we need to know the truth. We need to understand what's happening out here. There are people that want to silence us, want to silence yeah. me, and it's yeah. not going to happen. I mean, you know, yeah. to be honest with you, I have absolutely nothing to fucking lose at this point. You know, and um, guys, please, 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 we need for you all to look this up. We need for you to be informed in order for us to take things to the next level of, you know, teaching and educating and informing, we have to make sure that you are on solid ground on the base. So this is why, we, you know, we're challenging you to think and live for yourself and to educate yourself. Again, that number is 310-982-4273. Again, that's 310-982-4273. You got one minute. Dial it in if you want to listen. But I'm just going to give a couple of other names. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, too, I like what you said, too, about, you know, women being the head of, you know, not just the feminist movement, but also the civil rights movement and about black women yeah. being at the head. The fact is, if it had not been for sympathetic um, parties amongst, like, the white feminist leaders actually be, actually seeing slavery firsthand, actually witnessing these horrors firsthand, actually listening to ex-slaves like Sojourner Truth and Harriet yes. Tubman and Frederick Douglass actually give their testimonies as to why 
the practice that they endured was wrong. If it had not been for them, they would not have been motivated to speak on the behalf of the black liberation movement and the suffrage movement at the same time. It was because of the testimonies of Sojourner True, Frederick Douglass, that motivated the white abolitionists in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And that's mm-hmm. why I posted an article last week, and it said, you know, basically it was talking about how some white people still refuse to believe black people when we talk about how bad we have it. And basically it said those white people that refuse to believe it, those people are not your friends. Okay? Right. I need for you to understand. I need for you to let that soak all deep down in your shadow. Those people are not your friends. Not everybody no, who no. says they're an ally is an ally. You understand? Right. Sometimes these so-called allies are the ones that are holding us back. Of so, you know, not, in, 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 not all of them, but some of them, you know. But, I mean, you know, I need for you all to understand that. And this is why I'm talking about the women right now because, I, you know, I have to give, let you all understand that in all of these movements, the base, the base of these movements, it's the base that's holding you up. It's the base that's keeping you steady. It's the base that's motivating, supporting, and encouraging you has always been women. That's right. The civil rights movement of the 50s and mm-hmm. 60s, women. Mm-hmm. The black mm-hmm. power movement, women, which is why they were forcing black women to decide between feminism and black power movement because they mm-hmm. need the women, even with the church today, it's women. Mm-hmm. Women, listen to me. You don't realize how powerful you are right now. You should be sitting back with a smile on your face and feeling some pride. Yeah, you just okay. don't know the power that you hold. So, mm-hmm. you know, I want to acknowledge Daisy Bates. I want to acknowledge Ella Baker. I want to acknowledge Mary McClude Bethune, Rosa Parks, even Eleanor Roosevelt. You know, um, Mary Church, mm-hmm. Terrell, you know, I've talked about Ida B. Wells, Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth. You know, guys, you need to find out who these women are. I mean, you know, you have Angela Davis, you have um, Elaine Brown, you know, I can name a number of these people. Women, mm-hmm. honey, women. women. So women this can. is your base. This is your base, and this is why I get so upset when I see these memes degrading black women. This is why I get so upset yeah, when I hear, I you know, people, but in particular black men, blaming yeah. black women for all the ills of the world. Mm-hmm. Listen, if it wasn't for mm-hmm. black women, we wouldn't have half the shit that we get. So, right. and, but you know, the black men played a part too. I'm not taking that away from you guys, but again, you know, we talk about the patriarchy, the paternalism, and how we live in that type of society. And you know, that's what's interesting about this new phase of the civil rights movement that we are now embarked upon. Not embarking, we are on that road, guys. So you know, and you need to pull out. your head up out the sand and take your head up out your ass because it's and, happening. And, Go ahead, Rick. Absolutely. I was going to say, too, um, while we're on the topic of research and the women's rights movement, um, we should also apply this principle globally. If you actually go, like, yes. into Wikipedia and look at the actual list of yeah. women's rights movements throughout the world, even outside the United States, 
Exactly. You had people, you had women that knew what time it was back in the 16th, 17th, 18th century. Exactly. Yes. Back in the before, Middle East. Even before that, look at the look at the Amazon women. Look at the people in the women in Africa who fought. Yes. Okay. Who were yeah. who, who were queens heads. Okay. It's a reason why. It's a reason why they put put down women, honey. It's been a war on women. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and it is a war on women, and that's why mm-hmm. you know when we sit back and see black people and in particular black women, we do not have the luxury of sitting back and being silent. As Audrey Lord said, your silence will not protect you. It just won't. It won't. So, you know, you all need to see what's happening out here and understand, you know, what's going on. But we are. We're marching down that road of a new phase of the civil rights Mm -hmm. movement. It's, it's, It's happening. And, you know, mm-hmm. I posted a story, and I'm going to find it again. It was somewhere on Huffington Post. But it was a story in which some religious people, some pastors, finally acquiesced and acknowledged that the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s was a secular movement. They finally openly acknowledged that less than 5% of the church supported Martin Luther King Jr. Thank you. Okay, less than 5% supported Martin Luther King Jr. And how they usurped the civil rights movement and basically tricked people into thinking Mm -hmm. that it was a religious movement when, in fact, it was not. And they even acknowledged that this new phase of the civil rights movement that we are now on cannot and should not be built upon a religious foundation. It will fail. No. There is nobody out there in the religious community that can stand fast and stand strong. It has to be That's secular right. based. And this is why we're bringing this. I feel like I'm preaching. You know, this is why we're bringing this to you guys. And, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get you to understand what's happening, what we are living in, what we are facing, and why it is important to stand up. Stand yeah. out. Speak out. Yeah. Even if you're wrong, it's okay if you're wrong. Hell, the time to make mistakes is now while we still have time to correct it or fix it. Mm-hmm. You're not by yourself. Mm-hmm. You're not alone. It's a bunch of us, and we're here, and we're here to help you. But, you know, women have always been the cornerstone, the foundation right. of these mm-hmm. movements. So mm-hmm. um, we want you to understand, look up Alois Greenfield. You know, her writings, um, you know, um, are very important in regards to children. Um, So, again, um, you know, women have always been the pillars behind, you know, most of these, um, well, all of these movements, to be honest with you. And I'm going to give you some facts that you may not have known about the civil rights movement. A lot of people do not realize that there were two lines of civil rights leaders. You had the male line and you had the women line, and that there were two separate, um, you know, um, components there. So basically during the March on Washington, um, women held a different marching pattern. You know, there were two separate parades. You know, a lot of people didn't realize that, but people like Rosa Parks and Dorothy Heights, they walked down Independence Avenue, whereas the men, Bayard Rustin, Martin Luther King, Asa Philip Randolph, they proceeded down Pennsylvania Avenue. How about mm-hmm. that? How about that? Did you know that? 
I don't think a lot of people knew. So there were two separate parades, you know, and the March on Washington, it was a sign of unity and hope. And the women were factored out and written out of that history, which is unfair, but this is why we're bringing it back. And we want you all to understand just how powerful and how needed you are. We want you to take some pride. We want you Mm -hmm. to understand, build that self-esteem, build that confidence. We need you. If they're not willing to say it, I'm willing to say it. We need women. We need black women. We need white women, Latino, Asian, indigenous. We need you. So, um, again, you know, the black women, they took charge of the movement at the grassroots level and right. worked alongside A. Philip Randolph, worked alongside Martin Luther King and, you know, Baird Rustin. You know, um, Dorothy Height, she was the president of the National Council of Negro Women, and she was one of the key organizers of the march. You know, um, Ella Baker, she founded SNCC. SNCC was the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Those are the ones mm-hmm. going to the white, you know, white-only food counters and sitting there and eating and being, mm-hmm. you know, kicked out and beaten up and put in jail and, you know, um, having food thrown at them, being spit on, having cigarette smoke blowing in their faces. Look up, you know, SNCC, S-N-C-C, which is the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. That was Ella Baker, y'all. They and think that's Don't forget she Fannie Lou. The... Huh? Hey, don't forget Fannie Lou. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way, girl. I'm on my way. Fannie you know, Lou. Um, you, know, <laughs> you know, but, you know, Daisy Bates. Don't forget about Daisy Bates. And she was the mentor yeah. to the nine students who integrated Little Rock High School in Arkansas mm-hmm. in 1957. You yeah, know, so, true. I mean, guys, you know, in Tallahassee, Florida, you had the Stevens sisters, and they gave mm-hmm. reputation as, as, as leading student activists. You know, Patricia and Priscilla Stevens, they mobilized students down there at FAMU to do sit-ins mm-hmm. at Woolworths, you know, which were like eating mm-hmm. counters. You used to be able to get food and eat, you know, at Woolworths. And they were in jail. One time they were jailed for 49 days. So, I mean, for those of you that are part of, you know, community activism and grassroots activism and social justice activism, especially those of you who are non-believers and we're out here and we're being vocal, I'm just telling you now to get ready because they're going to put us in jail. Oh, yeah. I thought about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm telling you, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. I always tease about I'm not going to jail for no damn body, but, you know, by me having this show, it's it's already, I've already made a political statement. But for me being a part of the AAH, you know, campaign, you know, my name, my face, everything is out there. There is no turning back. I can't go back to the believing side and act, you know, blind and dumb. I cannot unsee what I've seen. I cannot unlearn what I've learned. No way. And it doesn't matter how many times you get threatened. It doesn't matter how many times you get threatened with hell either, because the fact of the matter is, is that you can't be afraid of what doesn't exist anymore. And it's it's funny to me too, like how many Christians expect me to like read the Bible, look at the history of the Bible, look at the history yeah. of the religion, and then expect me to just go and and just have sudden amnesia and pretend like what I read and what I've seen in the church. And what I've seen in the Bible doesn't actually matter. No, I can't unsee that. You but can't get me to be ignorant they, again. They, they couldn't. It's no way I could see that they could read it. 
I, 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 you know, they go by. I, I ask my sons because they, they go to church, right? I say, okay, right. what do you preach about today? Where you preach from it from? They can't tell you. Right. right. What they verse did you get it. that from? They don't exactly. read it. You need to. I used to, when I started studying. When I I did go back to church. Okay, I told my mom at eighteen I wasn't going to church. Then about twenty, I went back. Started going back to. Church. I started writing down where you know why where he was preaching from. What he was preaching. Then when right. I finish, when I go home, fix the boys something to eat. Da da da. Got comfortable. I opened my Bible to check him out. That's when I started right. doing. You got to check. These preachers are preaching what they want to preach. Yeah. And exactly. then, and and then you go in the Bible and and you well, what the hell, you know? You right, got exactly. to research it for yourself. Okay. That's and right. then go That's for, and then when you get that straight, keep on going back. Keep on going back. That's right. And they get these That's newer right. Bibles and all these newer Bibles make everything all sweet. You got to get a real right. as old as possible Bible. For one thing. Right. Go back and get a 1611 Bible. Go back even further before that. Go back and yes. actually check out, you know, the Apocrypha. Go back yeah, and exactly. actually check out. Exactly. Check out the Greek New Testament. Check out, check out the where the original that they put in there. actually came from. Check out the books exactly. they didn't put in there. And check out where, yep. they, where they copied them from. And keep on going back. Just keep on going as exactly, far back exactly. as you can. You know, it's 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 ridiculous. These people claim they they don't know Jack. Exactly. You know, they don't know exactly. Jack. That's what pissed me it's off. No one's oh, yeah, believing. But check it out, check it out. No, you're right. You know, they have to go back and look at the you know the books that were omitted and left out. You know, that's called the apocrypha. And you know, you have a lot of these older Bibles that are now being um they're finding scrolls and they're putting this online and you can take it all the way back. But you know, I'm gonna throw an interesting fact in there that a lot of Christians aren't aware of because they always talk about the King James version of the Bible and how they base their beliefs on that. Well, mm-hmm. when you get some time I want you to go and check out the King James version of the book of demonology. He authorized that too. I just want you to think about that. Anyway, so yeah, you know, moving on. Um, yeah, you know, they're preaching what they want to preach, they're teaching what they want to teach, which is a bunch of nothing in many cases. Because you know, I used to yeah. do it to my friends too. I would say, What did they teach today at church? Oh, we had a good time. We just yeah. churched all over the to shout it, and I'm like, yeah, but what did he talk about? And then they would get mad at me and call me a troublemaker. See, I'm yeah. a troublemaker when I was in the church, and I'm a troublemaker outside of church, according to yeah. some people. You know, I have some of my some of my old religious friends. They are afraid to talk to me now because I used Come to question on. their religion then. Yeah, I mean, I questioned the religion then, and they stopped talking to me about religion. But now that I am just out and outright, you know, an atheist. They, I mean, I bet you if I see them in public, they would either turn away to make sure, hoping that I didn't see them, or if they we ran smack into each other, they probably would pee in their pants. But that's a whole different mm-hmm. story. But, um, mm-hmm. again, let's move on. we got to bring it back to the women. And just to let people, let the women know, you know, how valuable you are. And, you know, the interesting thing about it is that despite the contributions of all of these beautiful and wonderful women, None of them were invited to speak at length at the right. Civil Rights March, you know, the March on mm-hmm. Washington. And this is why, you know, I'm saying, you know, because what's happening here in the secular community, 
if you all have not been paying attention, at least to the, you know, the um, atheists of color, this is being women-led. The majority of the people of color in the atheist community are women. The majority of them are us. And Mm -hmm. that's why you've heard me say it on this show in the past, and I'm going to say it again today. I am worried about men trying to come in and usurp and take over after we've done the hard work and we've taken the licks and we've taken the Mm -hmm. put-downs and we've taken Mm -hmm. all the bullshit that comes along with, you know, being Mm -hmm. a pioneer or what have you. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we take all the hits and we take the brunts and, you know, we get our damn, you know, tires slashed and, you know, damn bricks thrown through our damn windows. Then the men want to come and take over and then don't watch them down. And this is why you hear so many of us incorporating feminism into our secularism, you know, incorporating, you know, um, our talk um, in regards to patriarchy and paternalism and trying to dismantle and deconstruct those particular um, ideologies there. So there is a reason to it, but that is the one thing that I fear, that some men will come in and try to take this over. You already have Mm -hmm. some, you know, um, black preachers out here telling their members to call themselves free thinkers. And it causes a lot of confusion because, you know, uh, but, you know, for me, it's been somewhat a good thing because a lot of my listeners, active listeners, are believers. You know, the majority of my listeners are white people and black believers, which Mm -hmm. I find quite interesting. Mm -hmm. And I love each and every last one of you. You know, that's not a put down. I just want to make sure you guys know that. And I'm hoping that you're getting something out of this show. You know, I hope you're getting the information that you need. I'm, you know, wishing and hoping that you're going out here and doing the research needed because we just want you to open your eyes and understand what's happening to you and how you're being manipulated, you know, not only by the people in the pulpit but also by the government because all of this is interrelated. It's tied together. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, and so, you know, we need for them to understand that. Go ahead, honey. I was going to say, um, you know, it's funny, too. This is not on the same exact topic of, you know, what we're, you know, civil rights and whatnot. But I think mm-hmm. it's also very, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, you just mentioned the government and things like that. I think it's also very interesting to notice, um, and this is like way off topic, but it's funny, too, how America is basically wrapped up um, in this kind of end times fervor right now in regards to this because a lot of people don't realize that you know these preachers and these pastors um, a lot of them are actually trying to instigate foreign and public policy in the Middle East and their involvement in the United in the Israel and Palestine conflict is dirty and what people don't realize is that a lot of these politicians are literally trying to bring on the end times so that Jesus can come back exactly and exactly. they're preach- and those preachers in the pulpits are actively using the congregations to draft their support of Israel, not realizing that what they're actually doing is funding an actual war. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're funding a war and they're funding genocide. 
you know, right. um, things that they're supposedly against. And I also want people, you know, just kind of tie on to what you said there. But we also want people to understand that, you know, when you have these religious programs and these pastors and mega pastors and what have you, asking you all to donate money so that they can reach out internationally, that they are influencing what's happening over in Africa, in particular what's happening in Uganda and other countries yeah. over there. They Feeling yeah. that you know that um you know anti homosexual homosexuality exactly. acts and these people being burned. This is because of your preachers and you all giving That's them right. money to go up there and wreak havoc. But in addition to that, let me also tell you something about some of your preachers. They own diamond mines over there. Yep. They own a lot of property over there. Mm-hmm. So they say, mm-hmm. oh, help us to buy water and build water pumps oh, for the people in Africa. Uh, right. You know, and while they're over there, they're buying diamond mines. They're buying, you know, they're 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 excavating for gold. They're doing a number of things. So you all, please, please, please understand what's happening. And oh, again, and go ahead, oh, honey. Oh, remember too. Um, do you remember Coney 2012? Yes. Okay, so when no. all those guys from like Liberty University were over there talking about how they were trying to actually liberate Uganda from, you know, the tyranny oh, yeah. of the Lord's Liberation Army oh, yeah. and Joseph Kony. Well, uh-huh. right. it turns out, funnily enough, that these same Christian organizations and, you know, Liberty University and these right-wing Christian universities happened to be working for several of the same people who were committing crimes just as bad, if not worse, than Joseph Kony was, and he wasn't even in Uganda at the time that they were actually exactly. trying to instigate this protest in the first place, just mm-hmm. so that they can clear the diamond mines in Uganda. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Wish, so I hope you, you all heard that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. You know, these exactly. Christian organizations, they know what time it is. Pat Robertson knows what time it is. Ooh, they ought to take him off That TV, son of please. a bitch. God, That's right. Has, that guy asked for tithes and offering so he can fund his empire. Okay, and this guy has, Eddie Long has an interest in Africa. T.D. Jake yeah. has an interest in Africa. So exactly. that they can also get up in there in that piece of pie and into the diamond industry. These guys are yeah. funding civil wars, and they're funding the anti-gay movement, and they're funding – and they're also funding witchcraft hunters, too, by the way. That's exactly. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Liberty University had an evangelist. And I'm gonna actually I'm gonna look up her name right now because it's literally on the tip of my tongue. But look this up. There is someone who was actually on Sarah Palin's campaign years ago, who literally was responsible for the murder of 15,000 plus children in Africa, and was responsible for persecuting children with malaria and various other diseases as having mm-hmm. been influenced by demons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Responsible yeah. for the murders yeah. of thousands of children, and these people are actually being supported by right-wing organizations and are preaching mm-hmm. in churches in America right now. Ebola, and exactly. they're funding that. Ebola, exactly, and that's why you know that's why we bring this information out and to tell you guys 
what's happening, you know, but, you know, it's, look it up. Understand where your money is going. Understand what they're doing with your money, and especially because the base of these churches are women. And I want, you know, women to really understand and to know, um, you know, what's happening, what they're doing, and you, the the mechanisms they're using to control other people in other countries. But, you know, I'm just going to say one more thing about women being a part of this movement is, you know, you know, there's a lot of um, patriarchy with the civil rights movement, the phase of the 50s and the 60s, because they wanted the women to get up there and sing, but they didn't want the women to speak. And Ella Baker was the only woman really to speak, and I believe she said 135 words. Um, They wanted Merle Evers to speak, but she couldn't make it. But, you know, there were also celebrities that were part of the civil rights movement. I want you to go and look them up. You know, you have people like Diane Carroll, Grace Jones, um, Nina Simone, you know, just, you know, um, Felicia Rashad, you know. I mean, these people, Ruby D, you know, um, mm-hmm. of course, Maya Angelou, you know, who just passed away this year. Oh, um, you know, we're losing, we're, we're losing the vanguard people, you know. And, and to some extent, um, this is going to sound a bit harsh, and I'm not trying to be harsh, Um we're losing some of the vanguard. You know, they're dying off. Mm-hmm. And a lot of their information, they have written it down. They have, you know, video. Yeah. Um, there's a whole series at the Smithsonian in which, you know, they took video of people with, you know, words of encouragement for those of us that are out here still in a struggle. But the flip side of that is that we still have some of the so-called civil rights leaders out here hucking and bucking, but they're only looking out for themselves. And, you know, I've said it on the show, and I'll say it again, Al and Jesse need to go retire with Morgan Freeman and Bill Cosby and the rest of them. Take Tyrese's ass with you, too. You know, him and Pharrell. You know, um, it's time for them to move out the way. You know, I wanted them to share the platform. But I don't even want them to share the platform anyways. You know, we don't need them. Uh-uh. Because what they're doing is they're telling you all to be quiet and to go home. Yeah. While they're being paid to, to, to keep you, you know, um, exactly. asleep, if you will. So, exactly. again, you need to understand what's happening here. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I want you guys to go up and look up the black codes. I want you to look up reconstruction. Um, Jim Crow laws, um, you know, we want you to look all of that up. All of that, you know, is part of the civil rights movement in which, you know, our civil rights, our human rights were being denied to us. So, again, for the U.N. to come into Ferguson, that was a big deal, y'all. Trust me, that was the first time the U.N. has ever come into any type of skirmish in the United States. Ironically, it was under the watch of President Obama. And, you know, I won't get into my beliefs about him and my disappointments, but as well as acknowledging some of the good, um, you know, try to keep it as balanced as possible. I'm not going to talk about it right now because, you know, I don't want to come across as, you know, just being a total asshole today. Um, but again, you know, to be a lot an of asshole. people. Okay, <laughs> so I'm really good at it when I want to be. Ain't no but, problem with that. Um, 
<laughs> but, you know, I just think it's important for people to understand what's happening, you know, what's happening with, you know, the police, the legislatures, the courts, the governors, especially, you know, with these people that are trying to, they're singing out uh, about, you know, we want our country back, the ones that are talking about states' rights. You know, the things that I post, I post them on purpose. I want you to get something out of it. Many times I post without putting a comment because I do not want to influence what you believe. You believe what you believe. When I get on this show, I talk about what I believe and and, and why I believe what I believe. But sometimes on my page I'll play the devil's advocate, and that's done to, you know, basically to stir up your sensibility. I want to see what your arguments are. Sometimes I put things on my wall that I absolutely do not agree with. But it's important for us to understand what other people are thinking and what they're saying so that we can build a stronger counter-argument. There is always a method to the madness, people. And I just think it's important for you all to understand it. And so, you know, um, in regards to Ferguson and what was happening, and the Klan was down in Ferguson, as a matter of fact. You know, Red Ninja brought up the Klan, and they were down there saying that they were down there to protect white businesses. And it was a couple of white guys that sent them away saying that these are our customers. We don't need you here driving our customers away. We don't need your help. We don't want you here. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there's some consciousness out there. But, you know, what was happening down in Ferguson, I put up an article, and I'll post a lot of this stuff again today, and it was talking about how Ferguson isn't about black rage against cops. It's about white rage against progress. This piece in the Washington Post, this is powerful. This was written by Carol Anderson. This is, like, one of the best, you know, articles that I've written about, um, that I've read about, um, you know, what's happening down there. And and the reason for it, there have been, you know, a lot of town hall meetings um, in regards to what's happening down there. And, yes, I know, you know, I'm bringing Ferguson in, and that's really going to be the focus of the third show but I want you all to see how all of this has led up to this, Um, how, you know, what's happening now with, you know, our rights being suppressed and oppressed, how it led up to Ferguson, and how even though they passed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act, you know, we still have the broken windows, you know, policies. We still have other legislation that, you know, um, that, is used to oppress people and basically keep people enslaved, if you will. If you go and you look and you see what happened down in Ferguson, you'll see that there are approximately three warrants per household. And this is how the city and this, you know, the, um, the city in that county, St. Louis County, is funded. It is funded through the fines. It's funded through, you know, them pulling people over, predominantly black people, over and Mm -hmm. giving them ticket after ticket. And when you can't pay the ticket, then, you know, or go to court, a warrant is issued. So now there are more fines, and then you are jailed because you can't pay those fines. And how it's just a perpetual cycle of bullshittery. Yeah, definitely. And it's not just in Ferguson. This is happening throughout the country. And, you know, I posted some um, NPR um, programs in which it was talking about, um, you know, this happening and how 
poor people are getting poorer and being jailed because they can't pay the fines. And this is happening all throughout the country. This is being done on purpose, you guys. So this is one of the reasons why we need a new phase of the civil rights movement. We're already on that road. We're already on that road. So I just think it's important for you guys to know that. Um, And, you know, something that I wanted to bring up um, about what's happening. So, you know, I can't talk about this without talking about some of the things that are being implemented in this country. So you hear about people in these charter schools, and I'm just going to briefly touch on this, about Mm -hmm. charter schools, and if you go and you look at the studies, in all actualities, the charter schools are not doing any better than the public school. In some cases, they're doing worse than the public Mm -hmm. schools. Um, We need to understand the economics behind charter schools and these school vouchers. We need to understand how there are people that are creating these charter schools just to sell them. So it's capitalism um, yet again, and, you know, you can't understand capitalism without incorporating racism into it. They go hand in hand, and, you know, maybe we'll do a show about that. But I want you all to understand something, you know, what's happening now with the Tea Partiers and what they're doing with holding out on the Affordable Care Act and other types of laws they're trying to implement. I'm going to read this paragraph here. And it says, nearly 80 years ago, Brown versus the Board of Education seemed like another moment of triumph. With the ruling on the unconstitutionality of separate public schools for black and white students affirming African Americans' rights as citizens, but black children hungry for quality education ran headlong into more white rage. Bricks and mobs at school doors were only the most obvious signs. In March 1956, 101 members of Congress issued the Southern Manifesto declaring war on the Brown decision. Governors in Virginia, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, and elsewhere then launched massive resistance. They created a legal doctrine into position that supposedly nullified any federal law or court decision with which a state disagreed. They passed legislation to withhold public funding from any school that abided by Brown. They shut down public school systems and used tax dollars to ensure that whites could continue their education at racially exclusive private academies. Black children were left to rot with no viable option. I need for you all to understand that. Pay attention to. Yeah, pay attention. Pay Mm -hmm. attention. What's happening now with this voter ID, this voter suppression, poll taxes, all of that, this is happening for a reason. You hear them talking about states' rights. What you see being played out with these red states and, and the Obamacare, it's the same game. I keep telling you all, they do the same things, they play the same games, just the names have changed, and maybe the object, you know, that they're, you know, the carrot that they're waving in front is different, but it's the same game. It's coming from the same playbook. Look that up. I always challenge you all to fact check me. Fact check the Southern Manifesto, March 1956. 
and how they shut down the public schools. And this is what they're trying to do now. Mm-hmm. Okay? Understand it. Understand it. But anyway, you know, we and got if they 25. Can't, and if they can't, I was going to say, if they can't shut down the public schools, they'll definitely sabotage them. Exactly. They'll sabotage the teachers. They'll sabotage the curriculum. Um, and one of the things that they're doing to sabotage the curriculum, and one of the things that I'm most passionate about as a subject is teaching creationism. Teaching exactly. creationism in schools, and especially, you know, it's funny how inner city schools, especially, you never hear the word evolution. It is not even discussed in schools. Right. It isn't even, science is not discussed in schools. No, and it's, it's a reason why. <laughs> you know? And that's exactly, really, exactly. It's astonishing. You get math, you get English, you get Spanish, you get foreign languages. But when it comes to biology, you get little tidbits here and there, but you get just enough before you have to broach the subject of how the human body works, exactly. what the human body consists of, what the origins of humans actually are, and what the lineages of human beings. You never hear that subject in an inner city school. Mm-hmm. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they don't want to even mention the word evolution. It's a dirty word, and it's because right. of the influence of a lot of the creationist school board in inner city schools. Exactly. And they teach abstinence. The, the adults can't even abstain from sex. And you really expect these children, right. they are discovering their bodies. They are discovering exactly. their sexuality. Yeah. I mean, hell, you know, you see babies masturbating when they're still in a womb. So, I mean, it's natural. It's okay. I mean, mm-hmm. but it, it's just, you know, and I'm going to give you all my own theory. Now, this is something that Kim thought of. Kim has been sitting back and watching all of this. Now, mm-hmm. part of the issue with the school system is it's supposed to be based on taxes and tax revenue. And this is why I say that churches should be taxed, at least at the commercial exactly. tax rate. Because they are not taxed. They're taking money, basically, as far as I'm concerned. They're stealing money from the community. But yet the people, the members of that church, the congregation, many of them live in the cities, and their children are going to dilapidated, inferior schools with outdated old books they have to share. And, you know, um, not they don't have the equipment that they need. They don't have the best teachers, so on and so forth. You know, a lot of people don't realize is that if you go and you look at some of these churches and you force them to open their books, their portfolios, they are some of the biggest landowners. You know, they own a lot of property. Some of the property was bought for a dollar. Some of the property they bought at cutthroat prices, but yet they pay no taxes on that property. So this is money being taken out of the community, in addition to the members, you know, them, you know, basically telling you to pay your 10% for tithes because, you know, church has business expenses, and then they want you to give love offerings, and then if you're part of the choir, you know, you have to pay the church for your robe, your choir robe, in which they pay the tailors, but a percentage of that goes back to the pastor, whether you all know it or not. To be a member of the choir, you have to pay a monthly fee. You're up there singing for free, but you got to pay them to be a part of the choir, to be a part of the usher board. Anyway, I'm saying all of that to say this. Personally, I believe one of the reasons why they're not 
you know, taxing the church and they don't come down on the church as much as they should is, number one, it controls the masses. Number two, the majority of these churches are in inner cities and economically and educationally disadvantaged neighborhoods. I believe that it's being done somewhat on purpose, not collecting the money for taxes to not educate these children. Yeah. Now, this is just my theory, and I'm sit, I am sit right. back and I look at this shit, and I try to put, make it all make sense, but it just don't make sense. And, you know, a lot of people, one other thing I want you all to understand with these churches, these churches work closely with Homeland Security, y'all. Mm-hmm. I need for you to understand that, too. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, I mean, there's a lot more. T- Go ahead, baby. No, I said I, I didn't know that. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they work closely with Homeland Security. So um, look that up. I want you all to look up faith-based initiatives. And President Obama was supposed to abolish faith-based initiatives until the black preachers got to him and said, oh, no, you won't. And guess what? Oh, no, he didn't. Okay, Mm -hmm. so um, I want you guys to look that up. But we're down to 20 minutes, and, you know, I would be remiss if I do not mention every, you know, mention W.E.B. Du Bois, because I wanted to end on, in the show, talking about him. And, you know, the ironic part is on the very night of the first, the very end of the first night of the March on Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois died that night. Mm-hmm. He made it all the way up to the March on Washington, and he died that evening of the first night. So I just thought that was poignant when I read that and I felt that. I just felt all tingly on the inside. I I don't know how to explain it. But, you know, his writings, his work had a major influence on the civil rights movement of the 50s and the 60s. And the fact that he died on that first night, that's, that's powerful. I mean, but that's just me. And, you know, I read a lot into these situations, but... You know, it it fills me with pride that he was able to see that movement, and he was able Mm -hmm. to see us come together, that he was Mm -hmm. able to witness, you know, what he had been talking about, what he had been, you know, writing about, the culmination of it. I just think that's powerful. But, you know, I'm Kim, so, you know, I read a lot into different things, but I just... You know, I just wanted you guys to know about that. You know, he was the first African-American to receive a Ph.D. from Harvard University, and that was in 1895. So, you know, this was an older gentleman, and I'm just, you know, really proud of the fact that he was able to see the March on Washington, that he was part of the planning, that, you know, he was able to pass the torch, if you will. So, you know, we want you to go and read up on that wonderful man. You know, um, I ordered a book not too long ago, and let me see what's happening over here. I'm going to tell you guys the name of the book. And I really probably should have pulled it up on my Amazon account before the show, but I was asleep. So (laughs) the name of this book is W.E.B. Du Bois and the American Political Thought, Fabianism and the Color Line. And this was written by Adolf Reed. And, again, the title of the book is W.E.B. Du Bois 
and American political thought, Fabianism and the Color Line, and Adolf Reed, R-E-E-D, is the author. Now, I have not had a chance to break into this book yet, and I've been wanting this book. So, you know, I am looking forward to getting into this, and we are going to have a show on this book. Um, It's extremely important, but you all can read some of Adolf Reed's writings online. You know, he he does a lot of writing. He has a lot of editorials out there and op-eds, so he's extremely important. You know, we'll talk about that. Lord, I'll drop my clip. Um, And, you know, so it's important for you all to understand about that and know who these people are. But anyway, before I go into W.E.B. Du Bois, um, I have to acknowledge Booker T. Washington, and we have to acknowledge Marcus Garvey. Because those were, you know, um, they had major influence, um, and they had three entirely different visions for the black community. And a lot of conflict, there was a lot of conflict between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. And interestingly enough, you know, uh, it's said, it's alleged that W.E.B. Du Bois um, was instrumental in Marcus Garvey being deported. So, uh, you know, I just want you guys to go and read up on those three individuals um, and their three visions, their visions for the black community and, you know, what transpired between the two. And I also want you to look up the conflict between Booker T. Washington and W.E.B. Du Bois. I mean, it was epic. You know, you want to talk about people reading each other for points. They were reading each other for points. So it's just it's interesting. Um, W.E.B. Du Bois is known or he's credited with talking about the talented tent when he actually was, he didn't originate that. It was taken, taken from um, a white guy, I forget the gentleman's name, but it was a Jewish guy who was talking about the talented tenth. And, you know, um, later on down the line, W.E.B. Du Bois rejected that um, talented tenth um, narrative. And so you would understand why, you know, I rejected as well. Um, especially when you're talking about American exceptionalism. It's, it's all bullshit. There's no such thing. Um, and so go back and you read because, you know, the dispute between these two, extremely polarizing. Um, basically, Booker T. Washington wanted blacks to accept social conditions and to not make waves, to go along to get along. And you have people like that in the community now. Um, in the black community, you have people like that in the atheist community that feel that we should go along to get along, and eventually things will work itself out. You're right. And uh, wait, wait on the Lord. Go, uh, wait on the Lord. Yeah, we have wait on the Lord. But I mean, but even in the atheist community, you know, it'll work itself out because. There are some, you know, mainstream white atheists that, you know, actually will sit there and tell us that when they became an atheist, they were no longer racist, they were no longer sexist, they were no longer homophobic, because those are, you know, religious beliefs. 
And that is not true. I've been called nigger more times since I've been a part of this community than I have been in my entire life mm-hmm. in the, by religious people. So mm-hmm. it's just it's interesting. But um, And when they say that, still, you know, I don't, huh? I know, I was going to say, and there's still homophobia within the atheist community, too. I mean, there's still homophobia within the secular community. There's still sexism mm-hmm. within the secular community. There's sexism all over yep. the atheist community. Exactly. Exactly. And that is one of the reasons why I'm afraid that the men will try to come in and take over after we get everything organized and situated. But, no, there is a lot of sexism. You will see a lot of these, you know, atheists, in particular white male atheists, putting down, you know, a lot of the feminists, the white feminists in this community. And, you know, there have been fights back and forth and, you know, um, Anyway, you know, we've talked about a lot of what's been happening, but yeah, there's a lot of sexism. And but you know, what gets me is when people say to me that they're no longer those things because now they're an atheist. And you all have heard me, you know, joke about how it's taken on a religious tone, if you will. You know, a lot of religious people say once they received the blood of Jesus, their sins were washed away and they were white as snow. That is what I am hearing. When you tell me that atheism took all of this away from you, okay, this is why I mock you and I laugh because either you think I am incredibly stupid and naive or you're one delusional fucker walking around. Thank you. Now, I beg to differ. I'm not stupid nor am I naive, so I'm just going to call you delusional. And it's funny, too, because, like, um, some people – some atheists are just as, I would say, um, vociferous and indignant right. about questioning authority as Christians are. And they're just, they will defend the indefensible if it means they're part of the party line and defend people that shouldn't be defended on certain subjects because they're part of the party line. I don't have to agree with everything that Sam Harris says or Richard Dick, or Richard Dawkins says or Christopher Hitchens says, because they're not authorities. I don't need their opinion. I can think for myself. That's the point, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. And the interesting thing about it is um, we've had some atheists of color, if you will, get angry with us because we have charged the atheist community with racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia. There's a lot of transphobia over here, too. And, you know, this is one of the reasons why I say, you know, stop trying to recruit religious people, stop trying to convert them, stop trying to... We ain't got our shit together over here. Right. You know, at least over there, they have some semblance of a covering, if you will. They have some semblance of, you know, some type of unity over there, if you will. But, you know, again, with Booker T. Washington... And isn't converting people to atheism making atheism the religion that you're saying it's not supposed to be anyway? Exactly. 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 And that's why I always parallel and always do the contrast. And I'm like, do you all see what you're doing over here? Because I'm sitting over here, I'm laughing my ass off at everybody. You know, personally, so, you know, but with Booker T. Washington, basically, he was urging blacks to accept discrimination for the time being and concentrating on elevating themselves through hard work and material prosperity. 
you know, he believed in education, in the crafts, industrial, and farming skills, and the cultivation of the virtues of patience, enterprise, and thrift. This, he said, would win the respect of whites and lead to African Americans being fully accepted as citizens and integrated into all strata of society. Wrong. Wrong on so many different levels. And this is why you hear us saying, you know, and even in this community, that we have to stop looking to white people, white people's approval. Because there are some people out there you're never going to get it. And we have to find out and know who we are. And we do not have to accept discrimination. We do not have to accept racism. We do not have to accept the few crumbs that they are offering. And see, this is the thing. Booker T. Washington and what was happening then and even now with some of the so-called leaders in the atheist community, I'm talking about, you know, black, Latino, Asian, whatever, and the ones that are going along with this type of Booker T. Washington program, what they don't realize is, you know, they are receiving or they think they're receiving, you know, power, celebrity, and being funded and getting money. And, you know, they may be receiving some of those things, but what they don't realize is that they are practicing white supremacy on their own people. Thank you. And, and, And they're invoking white privilege. Because they want the same privilege that they talk about, that they see the white people have. It's the same bullshit. And that's why, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes I feel like my head is going to fucking explode when I get to explaining this. And, of course, they act like they don't get it. Some of them really don't get it. You know, and And, and, it goes back into that. But check it out. Hold on. It goes back to a doctrine that you see now in a lot of the black communities, especially with the advent of, you know, these mega ministries, you'll hear the pastor up there, and you'll hear some of these leaders, and they'll say, I got mine. Now you go get uh-huh. yours. Uh-huh. Look at how God has blessed me, or look at how the uh-huh. secular community has rewarded me for being a good and faithful servant, if you will. Uh-huh. You know, we're recruiting yep. more black to come over here. We're recruiting more Latinos and more indigenous, more Asian people to come to the community. See, they need us. I'm important. No, you ain't. Mm-hmm. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're not. Because at the end of the day, when they turn you out in that day, will happen? You're going to come right back to us. And what's going to happen? We're going to open our doors. We're going to open our arms and accept you back with love because that is what we do. That is who we are. Um, so, again, um, you know, going back, we want you. Oh, Deborah, were you going to say something, honey? I'm sorry. What was it? Oh. No, I thought uh, you wanted to say something a minute ago. I did. I wanted to say something. I think it was all I can remember now is that that's why I'm going to say, I'm going to proclaim I am an angry black woman. That's right. I'm sorry. And I that's think right. I have a right to be. I got a right to exactly. be all this mess going on. I have a right to be. That's right. I mean, the way I figure, if you ain't angry, there's something wrong with you. You ain't paying attention, right? That's right. Or I was going right. to say, yeah, that's, you're, not, you're either not paying attention or you're willfully ignorant. That's exactly. Right. Exactly. So and willfully ignorant is like, I am angry. I, I, I am angry. I don't care what they say about it. I am angry. That's right. Yeah. But you know what? Let me tell you something, you know, Deborah and anyone else out there, you know, when they come to you with that angry black woman trope, you have a right to be angry. You embrace mm-hmm. that anger, hopefully that fire. 
that, you know, that righteous anger, that passion that you have, hopefully that will encourage you to get out here and act, you know, to peacefully protest, to to help out, to get into the community, to want to do better for yourself and do better for the people who are looking up exactly. to you. Because whether you know it or not or whether you're paying attention or not, there is somebody watching your actions. And you are influencing somebody somewhere. That's why I have Mm -hmm. to be real careful because there are times when I really just want to read certain people for points, but I can't do it because the wrong people will think that I'm talking about them and the narcissist Mm -hmm. will think, well, she couldn't possibly be talking about me. Yes, I am. I'm talking about you. But that's Mm -hmm. a whole different story. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, what gets me is with that angry black woman trope, if you will, they always parade that out when they're trying to silence you, when they're trying to shut you down, and, and, you know, they're trying to get you to play defense. But you have a right to be angry, you know, You know, the thing is, is that they want you to smile. They want you to smile, huck and buck, genuflect, and kiss their ass while they oppress you. And you're supposed to be happy about it. And I call bullshit. You understand? So, um, you know, we want you all to think about that. How did I end up getting a girl? Anyway, moving on. (laughs) Because there's more of that to come. There's more Mm -hmm. of that to come. You know, um, W.E.B. Du Bois, he was one of the, um, you know, forerunning, you know, black intellectuals. He was a scholar. He was a political thinker. Um, and he told Booker T. Washington, no, under, you know, under no uncertain terms. And so Booker T., you know, kind of made life a little difficult for um, W.E.B. Du Bois because Booker T. Washington, basically, he had the ear of mainstream white America. And because W.E.B. Du Bois would not go along with his program, Booker T. made, you know, uh, his life difficult, you know, he created some situations. As a matter of fact, Booker T. Washington um, was the reason why Henry Hubert Harrison lost his job at the post office and and died basically broke and, you know, broke. And so Booker T. Washington, just like a lot of blacks, and I mean, even some of the blacks in the atheist community, when you will not go along with their program or do what they stress needs to be done, then what they do is they try to poison the well. And they try to make your life difficult. But the difference between then and now is we've wisened up. We've learned from some of the mistakes of the civil rights movement. We've learned from some of the mistakes of other people. We've learned that we have to create our own. Mm -hmm. And that is what we are doing. And that's one of the reasons why we have the Moving Social Justice Conference coming up, you know, in October and why we created People of Color Beyond Faith because we do not consider religious people as the enemy. We want to work with them. We want to bridge that gap. We want to foster an understanding, foster compassion, you know, um, inform and educate. That is what we are. That is what we are trying to do. And we are not going to allow, you know, a few of these Uncle Ruckus types out here to disrupt us and to stop what we are implementing, you know. So, Again, we're down to the last minute and a half. We're going to be cutting off, and we will be picking this up next Sunday. We will be picking it up from W.E.B. Du Bois all the way to the Poor People's Campaign. So we will be talking about the assassination of Martin Luther King as well as Malcolm X. Um, I may throw in some Medford Evers because he's extremely important 
and a lot of people leave him out. And we need to talk about what he contributed to the community. Of course, I'm going to talk a little bit about Hubert Henry Harrison, who's one of my personal heroes, um, and Asa Philip Randolph, and how Asa Philip Randolph was influenced by W.E.B. Du Bois, um, Henry Hubert Harrison, and a lot of other people, um, and why Asa Philip Randolph was important. You know, one of the issues that you see now, and I want you all to think about this until next week, you see the splintering of labor, meaning that they're shutting down the unions. They're trying to take away the minimum wage. This is all being done on purpose. We want you to pay attention. On that note, everybody have a beautiful weekend, and we are out of here. Thanks, Red Ninja. Thanks, Deborah. Love you all very much, and thanks for joining me. Thank you. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Happy. See you next week, everybody.